Hi, this is Bob Rosakis. You're listening to the Batman Family Reunion on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Welcome to the Batman Family Reunion, proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Sean M. Myers, the M for Man Bat, one of your hosts. And with me, as always, is my co-host and Bat cousin, Paul Keene. How are you this month, Paul? Sean, I am doing great. But I lost my son, Tommy. He's off somewhere with his namesake, great bad uncle, Tommy Lee. He teaches my son way too many tricks. Be careful with that. I'm going to go over and talk with Grandpa Alan, see what he's cooking up for dessert for this reunion. This month, we have another special guest, back cousin and frequent commentator, Brett Michael Young. How are you doing today, Brett? But more importantly, what special dish did you bring to the reunion? Thank you, Bat Cousins. I'm honored to be at the reunion, of course. By the way, Great Aunt Martha is still holding a grudge after I knocked her in the face with a kickball earlier. So look, you know, walker or no walker, nobody's getting extra bases on me, okay? Not on my watch. Anyway, I brought a a big box of Clark bars for some reason. I don't know why they're in my, I I don't know why they popped into my head. It just, I just sort of had that thing. And of course, some Turkey Hill iced tea. There you go. But I also, I just wanted to say, I I made a fresh summer cocktail that I just wanted to describe really quick. So it's for two people, you would take three to four chunks of watermelon, like little square chunks of watermelon, a few slices of mango, one and a half cups of lemonade, two Batman shot glasses of rum, one Batman shot glass of orange liqueur, blend it up, pour it over ice, and top with a sprig of mint. Wow. There you go. You'll thank me later. I call that the Red Hood. Oh, <laughs> Red Hood. Tied it all together. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're classing up the joint. Wow. That's right. That's right. Paul, why don't you remind our listeners what this show is all about? Batman Family was a DC comic that ran for 20 issues from 1975 to 1978, and then rescued Detective Comics from the DC implosion by continuing on as a dollar comic for 15 more issues until 1980. The title started out with new features starring Batgirl and Robin, along with reprints before morphing into all new stories starring other members of the Batman family, such as the Huntress, Commissioner Gordon, Man Bat, and even the Odd Man. Both of your hosts collected and read these comics as they came out and are excited to share their love of this era at the Batman family reunion. So, Brett, before we get started, please tell us about your relationship with the Batman family. How did you get into the book and who is your favorite family member? Right. So I got into superheroes pretty young. I remember watching the Super Friends like a lot of kids do. So that's where I probably first saw Batman. And my dad was a teacher. When I was little, I would go sometimes if he was busy and stuff like that, I would go to the library there. They had the Batman from the 30s to the 70s book. Uh, so I would I would either get to check that out all the time or I'd just read it in the store, you know. So that was just kind of ran the gambit and it was so cool because you'd have the sort of noir stories of the 30s and 40s and then all like the crazy sci-fi stuff for the 50s he was always like punching somebody on top of like a giant typewriter or something Mm -hmm. like that that was really (laughs) cool and then all of a sudden it would go to the o'neill and neil adams stories which are so gothic and and Batman was always in a tree for some reason. That was always cool, you know, he's always hanging out in a tree. So that's kind of where I fell in love with Batman. As far as Batman family, the book, I think I only had maybe one issue. It was one of the detective comic issues. It's one okay. where Batgirl's kneeling over Commissioner Gordon. Oh, yeah. And she's yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is my case. You know, we haven't gotten to that yet, obviously. But most of my knowledge of this show is through you guys, you know, listening yeah. to the show. So, uh, and I've been following along on DC Infinite or Universe or Ultimate, whatever it's called now, sort of rediscovering this whole era of Batman. So probably my favorite, if we take Batman out of the equation, I really always loved Dick Grayson. I liked Robin, I was 
especially when I was little, I always liked the sidekicks. You know, I liked mm-hmm. Robin. I liked Cubs over Crockett. You know, I liked, uh, <laughs> I liked, I liked Trapper John and BJ, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So, and then when he became Nightwing, you know, he's so cool. And you see, he's still like one of my favorite. I mean, the, the recent run that he's doing is, is so great. And I always really liked the Huntress too. She was just kind of cool. She was the bad girl, but you'd have Catwoman. She was out front with it. She was always like letting everybody know. And it's like, yeah, we get it. You're the bad girl, you know, but the Huntress was a little more sly with that and everything. And she's had a cool look. And I liked all the incarnations of her. I liked her, how she is in the Batman family when she's the daughter of of Batman and Catwoman. I like the more current stuff, you know, where she's the daughter of the mafia boss and everything. So those are two of my two favorites. All right. That was great. Let's get into issue 19 of Batman Family. Cover dated August, September 1978. But the release date was May 16, 1978. It's an 80-page count for $1. The number of new stories is five. And the cover artist is Mike Kaluta. What do you guys think about this cover? Brett? Overall, it's a pretty cool cover. I mean, Mike Kaluta is, is really good at doing horror, horror-adjacent stuff. He's got a real eye for that. There are two things that sort of struck me. One, it's a very dramatic way to get bitten by a bat. You think you, <laughs> you think the first thing you do is sort of just try to cover up, you know, or, or, uh, or instinctively just do this. I don't, maybe the bat's been kind of latched on for a while and he's sort of in his last throes. I don't know. But then you have the two heads. You have the Huntress and the Man Bat in the corner. Kind of remind me of like those John Byrne heads from the... Marvel mm-hmm. box from the 80s and stuff. They have that look. Man Bat still looks off a little bit. He kind of looks like he's on a bender or something like that. It's really cool with you have Batman and Robin and Batgirl in the background. But the one thing has been baffling me about this cover, and I keep staring at it, is what is Batman doing with his hands? <laughs> was he supposed to have a rope? First, I thought, was he pulling like a trying to lift like a cover or his cape over because he knows this guy's dead, you know, sort of like a synchronicity thing. So I don't know if like the inker missed something or what, but that's the bizarre. I don't do, what do you guys think of that? I, I don't know what's happening there. I agree with you. Cover is beautifully drawn. Yeah. If you just looked at Batman's, what would be his right hand, it'd be like maybe he was had his cape and pulling it to the side, mm-hmm. but then his left hand is all the way around or in front of Batgirl. It, it's the left hand that confuses me. So I just, Assume it's something to do with his cape, but your cape can't be on both sides unless he's got both. Yeah, I don't know what he's doing with that. Yeah, I agree. It's very dramatic. You know, I do laugh at the position of this guy getting bit by the bat. I mean, the bat's very scary looking and it's gigantic. And the headshots you mentioned, they're actually reused from number 17. The ones with the stars. The ones with and they, the stars, yeah. yeah they, were the, they were the two that we had the debate about. Batgirl and Robin were looking a little more action. And these two guys were more straight ahead driver's license type photos. So I thought that was interesting. So he obviously did the cover. And then somebody, Al Milgram, the editor or somebody, just said, oh, we need the other two guys on the cover. Just slap those two same pictures on mm-hmm. by the same artist. The one thing I thought was odd was the tagline at the top. I don't know if you missed yeah. Yeah. Superheroes fight the evils of science and the supernatural. You know, it just seemed like a strange headline for the Batman family to me. I agree with what you guys say about Batman's hands. But do you guys know why this is the greatest Batman family comic book cover ever? What? It is no. because it is because Crypto the Superdog is on this cover. So if you look right here where it's signed Kaluta 78. Right okay. there at that mm-hmm. corner, that's Crypto's ear. Underneath his ear is his eye. There's his oh, snout I see it. his collar. <laughs> I see and, it. And his I back. Crypto <laughs> is on this cover of Batman Family. <laughs> did you actually notice that or did you read that somewhere? <laughs> that's really... Bizarre. I literally just 
noticed it. Like right as you guys were talking. Not <laughs> not that funny. I was drifting off. I was paying attention to every single word and yeah, I, right. I could I could repeat it verbatim. <laughs> However, as I was looking at like, it looks like a liver dog there. <laughs> it does. You're 100 percent right. Well I will post the image of the cover as well as some additional pages from all the stories in our family portrait gallery on the network's website. Sean, could you please remind our listeners where that is? Absolutely. It is fireandwaterpodcast.com. And now let's jump into the first story. So the first story is the cover story entitled The Tomb of the White Bat, a 20-pager written by Denny O'Neill with art by Michael Golden and Pete Craig Russell again. And it has only been reprinted in the Legends of the Dark Knight Michael Golden hardcover. For some reason, Bruce Wayne is escorting an ambassador named Chake to see the USA in a school bus. I guess Congresswoman Gordon was busy that day. They are currently in the snowy mountains and accompanied by the ambassador's aide named Saki, two secret service guards named Harrison and High, and the driver. Notice, Sean, everybody had a name except the driver, <laughs> who turns out to be the bad guy. Spoiler alert. Anyway, after remarking that the landmarks don't look like his map, the driver crosses a rickety looking bridge, which promptly explodes once they're on the other side. The passengers disembark the bus, and a sniper shot, not from the shotgun sniper, rings out and hits the driver. But he rubs his shoulder and he's okay. As Bruce slips away to change it to Batman, his thoughts inform us that he was tagging along since he had heard someone was going to try to kill the ambassador. Batman catches up to the two gunmen and makes quick work of them. He then meets their granny bleach, which gives Michael Golden another chance to draw an ugly old woman. Hey, to each their own. No judgment here at the reunion. Granny tells him the story of the white bat from 100 years ago who drains the blood from innocent villagers. They finally rid themselves of the white bat when they promised not to trespass on his land. So she had her boys take a shot at the traveling party to warn them away. But they were not responsible for blowing up the bridge. So who was? As Batman approaches the bus, he saves the ambassador and Saki from a grenade. He finds out that Harrison went to look for Bruce Wayne and then High went to look for Harrison. Batman tracks them and discovers High who promptly dies in his arms and has punctures in his neck. Pursuing the killer, Batman falls into a crevice that has been hidden as a trap, but he is able to stop his descent by pushing against the walls with his shoulders and his feet. The killer threatens him from above and makes a fire to melt the giant icicles, which will then fall slash crush slash perforate Batman. But instead, Batman catches the 70-pound icicle and then throws it up to smother the fire. The only cost was a dislocated shoulder. That's nothing for Bronze Age Batman. He climbs up and rubs his shoulder too. We cut to the driver who has circled back and now has taken the ambassador prisoner. We see that he has adopted a taser with two needles to kill instead of stun, while also making the wounds appear like the bite of the white bat to take advantage of the local superstition. He has really prepared his traps. He knocks out Saki and drags the ambassador away. Batman chases after them when suddenly the ambassador runs back out of the woods in terror. Jake tells Batman that a terrible creature swooped down on them and the driver ran to his helicopter to get away. Batman looks to the sky and watches the helicopter crash to the ground with the driver dead inside, pale and drained of blood. The end. Brett, Sean, what did you think of the Tomb of the White Bat? Well, overall, I thought this was great. I thought this was a classic kind of standalone Denny O'Neill story. I mean, this would fit right in the detective or Batman at the yep. time. The art is gorgeous. Of course, Michael Golden, he's phenomenal. And, and you can kind of see him at, at little spots sort of homaging Neil Adams. 
a little bit. He has a little bit of that in him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nice to have him. He gets the call up. You know, Golden gets the call up this yep. month, too. He's from been the promoted. Man yep. bat. Yeah, he's been in man bat. Now he gets the call up to the big leagues. I thought the ink was a little heavy handed at times. I mean, it's a little bit of a nitpick, but I thought it, yeah. it got a little blotchy at times he has some great lines i love chin softening i love that line by batman it's a fantastic <laughs> line that's great every every superhero should use that it should be a rallying call it's time, it's time to chin soften and everybody needs a friend like saki too yes yeah, saki guy, takes care know, of his guy yeah yeah, yeah. And quick question do we know where this guy is an ambassador from i don't think it's ever mentioned is it no we have no idea where he's no. from no, okay. it looks vaguely Eastern European to me. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, who knows? But no, great, great story. Great story. Sean, how about you? What are your thoughts? I like it. It's funny because my memory had it being fantastic and great. And there are definitely things that are very memorable. But I don't know. For some reason, in my mind, like it kind of just doesn't gel because you have the white bat, you have the bus murderer, you have this whatever hillbilly family. Yeah. I don't think <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, I don't think everything. I had this book like when it first came out on the stands. And I absolutely mm-hmm. remember the ice trap. I remember him. Yeah. Putting his his feet and his shoulders up against the wall and like going up and the ice coming down. And I definitely remember the line, this person who prepared a trap because he might need it. That goes mm-hmm. to show how serious he is. I remember that. For me, it's the artwork. Every single panel I love. That's what I have like deep, deep memories of. And for me, it definitely holds it through, saves it. And, and again, when I say that, like it's not a bad story, it's not horrible. You know, I don't roll my eyes. It's super like action-packed and engaging. And it is neat because I haven't read a Batman DC story probably in at least five years, maybe even 10 years. I don't know that they really do stories like this anymore. And there are villains, there are bad guys. But in terms of like Batman now, probably it's not like a big stakes operation, you know, that kind of thing. So, I mean, I do like the story. In terms of the Batman stories in Batman Family and Detective Comics when it becomes a dollar, I don't think it's one of the best ones. Fair enough. I love the art. It's fantastic. I think I agree with you, Brett. There's a couple places that look pretty heavy to me. Yeah. And I think I said it last episode. I like Michael Golden and P. Craig Russell. I think more, even more. I mean, I like them both together, but I think I like them more when they're apart, when they're separate. It's really good. I mean, look at all the detail of the helicopter on the splash page. The setup for the story is weird. The ambassador on the school bus in the mountains. That's kind of a random setup. Yeah, why are they in a school bus? That's yeah, I don't know like, the why? school bus. Is it a special school bus and go up in the snow? Back in the 70s, people still drove around in the snow. Maybe that's a, maybe I'm stealing a- That's true. Maybe that's more in there. But if we start walking through, they get out of the bus after the explosion. I mean, you see the driver get shot in the shoulder. It's only a scratch, he says, as he rubs his shoulder, which I think is funny. But I love page four. You, you got Bruce changing into Batman. You see him wearing his Batman outfit underneath. And the bottom of the page, I really think it's cool, that bottom left panel. It's sort of the pink background with the hillbilly guys with their heads kind of tiny at the bottom with this swooping in Batman. That's really a dramatic shot. I really like that. The detail on Granny's pipe. I think it's a corncob pipe. Corncob pipe, I think so, yeah. The storylines are a bit overly complicated. That I agree with you, Sean. He might have not had the hillbillies in it, and then he only had a 12-page story, so he needed to... Yeah, Yeah, it's like he needed somebody to beat up. You need the hillbillies to explain Explain the, the white bat, what that's doing there and everything. I do like how Batman gets mad at himself for falling for the trap and underestimating his opponent, so I like that. Again, Mm -hmm. I like the stories when Batman could make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so that's pretty cool. The one other note on the art that I've pointed out, pages 14 to 15, 
with no commentary, so I got to think this is Michael Golden. The one brother's running at Batman at the bottom of page 14. He capes his cape off and olays him to the side and then just poop reattaches his cape at the bottom left of 15. You don't get any commentary about that, but he just took the cape off, olays right back on the back of his neck and keeps going. I thought that was pretty slick. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. cool. If it was a FW team up, that'd be the cool move of this story. <laughs> <laughs> Going back a couple pages, when you talk about Batman falling into the trap, in your print issue, because I think both of you have print yes. issues. So on page 10, the bottom panel where Batman is overlooking the guy with the two puncture necks, to the very, very left of that panel, do you guys have that production note? I do. I did not notice it till I saw that you added a comment in the notes here. I was like, yes. So, so there, there is a production, like a comic issue production note saying colorist note, and then red in a circle, the word red spots on neck puncture marks. Very cool. That's that is cool. I, I'm I'm looking at this on online, so I don't have that obviously, but that's really cool. I think it's neat when you can see when you can see stuff like that. Yeah. I always like the traps that they have to do the thing where they put their feet and then their either their shoulders or their arms on the other side and, and to have to shimmy back up. But my one question is how do you get that last part how do you get to that last part where you actually can climb out you know because you're kind of you're kind of in that prone position and then when you get to the top you just sort of launch yourself to you know your shoulders <laughs> off I, I don't know how you do that that's always the impressive part of it i thought they did a good job too on the first page they start with the end and then build to it but you don't really know that much about what is actually going to happen you kind of forget about it until the end anyway they do a good yeah. job with that and even the way it's designed all you see is sort of the hand in the snow so you can't tell like who it is mm-hmm. It doesn't give away who it is or anything like that, too. So, yeah, nice job. The last page, I think, is my favorite page. It's a great shot of Batman in the top left talking about how he's pale and doesn't have blood and the big image of the white bat flying away. And then the bottom is a faraway shot of Batman kneeling over the dead guy. So just a really terrific end of the story. All right. You guys ready to move on? We're going to move on. All right. Now we're going to move on to the bat timeline. In this segment, we're going to take a look at the other titles that were published this month and what the rest of the Batman family was doing at that time. I want to make a special note here that the release dates in May of 1978, this was the last month before the DC explosion. So we don't get a Batman family in June because number 20 is July. It's bi-monthly. But as we know, the explosion only lasted three months before we get the implosion. The explosion increased page counts and the cost of comics from 35 cents to 50 cents. And we'll talk some more about it when we get to some of the ads. As always, as we go through this, thanks to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. Sean, you want to kick us off with the Bat books? Batman number 302, and that is a 35 cent comic called The Attack of the Wirehead Killers. <laughs> <laughs> and it has Robin, Commissioner Gordon, Alfred. And the cover is really cool because it has Batman front and center. And then these two suction cup pods are on either side of him and they're electrified and there's a guy in the background and actually i can't really read everything but it's who something something the wirehead killers something the batman and then there's this figure in green that's coming up behind batman to i guess wring his neck it's it's a great cover we don't get a brave and the bold or detective this month they're on the off month but we do have a justice league it is issue number 157 we don't get a lot of Joe Staten covers on Justice League, but here's one. And you've got Supergirl front and center guest starring, and you've got the female members of the Justice League with her, Wonder Woman and Black Canary, with all the male members coming up 
sort of looking like they're attacking and they're under the control of this woman at the top who's the the siren. So it's a Jerry Conway, Dick Dillon classic, my sort of favorite era of Justice League. And it's got a bunch of guest stars. And when I looked at Mike's Amazing World, it's like I got all kinds of guest stars in there, not just Supergirl, but Phantom Stranger and Solovar and Mera, Captain Comet, all kinds of people. It's a pretty cool issue. Yeah, that's a great cover. I wish we would have seen Joe Staten on Justice League more yeah. often. The next book we're going to talk about is Super Friends number 13, and it's The Mindless Immortal. The Super Friends are overlooking a hole in the ground, and it says, what a strange place for a mine shaft. And Batman says, that's no mine shaft, that's a burrow. And coming into the wall is a, a huge green gopher burrowing his way through. <laughs> and I love Super Friends, so that's good. That was their chance to feed the Wonder Twins to the rabbit, and they blew it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. We also have a World's Finest Dollar comic, number 252. Another great Jim Aparo cover. It's a cover of Superman ripping apart a phone booth, which would certainly be a Gabriel's Horn moment if it was in Batman Family. And we get stories uh, not just of the world's finest duo, but of Green Arrow, Black Canary, The Creeper, and Wonder Woman. You know, I, I still wonder why Wonder Woman was featured so often in this and then Adventure, because it's not like her main book sold that well, but she, you know, they always sort of put her in some of these dollar comments. Right. What did you have on your pull list? All right. Well, I had a couple of these. I had the Avengers, Avengers 174, which was part of that Korvac saga. Mm -hmm. I had that. I probably own probably about seven Captain America books. And that was one of them. <laughs> uh, I just random. I, I was. Well, that's just because that's such a great cover. Yeah, it is a cool cover. Pulling out of the water, yeah. So I had Star Wars 14, and I had Superboy and the Legion, and that was the Earth War thing with uh, James Sherman did a couple. He probably only did about like four issues of that, so he's one of my favorite Legion artists of all time. He was yeah. so good, and he barely did anything. But looking through this, this blew my mind. I'd never heard of this Beatles Marvel super special. And then when I looked into it, George Perez did the art for this. Yes. And it blew my mind. I, I went online and I found all the, the pages. That was so cool. I definitely would have gotten X-Men 112 with John Bernhardt. I would have gotten Marvel 2-in-1. Nice George Perez cover. Probably the Amazing Spider-Man Annual 12. Because it reminds me of when they fought at the Winter Olympics, that treasury edition, which is like my all-time favorite treasury. Before you go off of the Amazing Spider-Man Annual, I had that one on my list. And it's actually a reprint of Spider-Man's number 119 and 120, which were right before Gwen Stacy died. Oh, really? But it's got a great John Byrne cover. For me, I remember this because I had started getting Spider-Man around 130 or so, and I don't think I would have had those issues. So I found those awfully cool as a kid to get that reprint of those stories. I would have gotten the Invaders issue just because that was such a crazy series. I don't know if you guys ever read any of that. I love the Invaders. Yeah, it was like no holds barred. They could just do whatever they wanted, really, and it was nuts. I would have gotten the, the Marvel preview with Star-Lord, with that Jim Starlin art. That looked really cool. And I would have gotten Mr. Miracle 25, which was like a reverse tomahawk. Because they had a Milgram cover, and then Michael Golden did the interior. So, it was <laughs> there, like, yeah. so I don't know what they were thinking with that. So, and if my, <laughs> and I guess if my mom wasn't looking, I would have gotten Vampirella too. <laughs> I just have a couple that I'll throw out there. It's been a while since I picked up the Roadrunner, but if you look at number seventy-two out this month, it's got a pretty cute cover with Wiley e. Coyote sort of looking for Roadrunner with a telescope, but the Roadrunner is sitting there kind of relaxing under the outcropping of stones. They had a lot of those outcroppings in the desert. <laughs> Fantastic Four 197 continues the build up to 200 by Marv Wolfman. Another great Perez 
does cover here. Keith Pollard on the inside, really good. Marvel Tales, 94, reprints Spider-Man 115. Again, I wouldn't have had that, but wow, what's Aunt May doing defending Doc Ock? Showcase 103, I really enjoyed Showcase. We've mentioned a couple of times. Too bad we never got that Huntress Showcase. And that is the last issue of that Hawkman story behind a, an awesome Joe Kubert cover. Spectacular Spidey had him facing the Scorpion this month. And then the last one I'll mention is Steel number four. Again, Steel didn't last much longer because the implosion. I don't love the Tusca art, of course, but I do have fond memories of the series. And of course, he came back later. Sean, what's left on your list? We're going to start off with a cautionary tale, and that is <laughs> all new collector's edition C60. <laughs> which is Rudolph's Summer Fun. Why did I know that would be your first pick? This goes to show the hubris that Rudolph extended because before this, he had six treasuries all Christmas, six of them. Some DC superheroes didn't even have any treasuries. Rudolph had six. He tried to extend. He went for Summer Fun. This was the end of the treasury line. Now, <laughs> technically, there was that Superman 2, but that's about the movie. It's not comics like this. And Rudolph did have a digest, which is certainly not, even though I love digest, it's not a treasury. So this, be careful of your hubris because you can bring down an entire huge comic line. Yeah, stay in your lane, Rudolph. <laughs> exactly. And I love Rudolph. But my next one is Firestorm number four, and that's his original run. And that's with a Hyena. I love those issues. I didn't get those issues until years and years and years and years later. One of my mantras is making things come into existence. So I'm picking Spider-Woman number five because I want color reprints at a great price. <laughs> You're going to keep on that. Horse, yes, aren't you? every month. The next one is Superman number 326. And man, I just love this cover. Superman on TV opening his shirt with his Superman outfit on underneath. And it's a Superman reveals his secret identity. And I actually don't have this issue. And I think that would probably be a cool issue to have. The next one is TV stars number one. And that stars Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels, Grape Ape. So I think that would be fun to read. And the last one is What If, number 10. And it's What If Jane Foster Had Found the Hammer of Thor. We've talked about this before. It's a what if that became a what happened because it really did happen in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> and last but not least, Sean. The count for Richie oh Rich. <laughs> An average 10. Average 10. No Super Richie that pushes it over. It's amazing. A couple odd titles. And I don't know whether they keep just renaming them every month to get the numbers higher or what. But the ones I hadn't noticed before, Richie Rich Bank Books. Yeah. So <laughs> one about taking a look at his ledgers, I guess. Maybe he's under <laughs> audit. <laughs> and then the corresponding the sister book, Richie Rich's Profits. <laughs> So. There's Richie Rich Money World. Money World probably could be like a real finance magazine, like just called Money World. Oh, heavens. They need a Richie Rich's offshore accounts bookstore. <laughs> Richie Rich's tax shelter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we are going to move on to the next story, which is Batgirl in the Sino Superman. And that is a 13 page story written by Bob Rosakis, penciled by Juan Ortiz. It was inked by Vince Coletta, and it was later reprinted in Batgirl the Bronze Age Omnibus, Volume 2, hardcover. Now, before we start, I want to say I was not familiar with the term Sino. I thought it best if I look it up in Google just to make sure it's not some kind of word that has changed meanings and is now harmful. I could not find where it is harmful or a slur or anything like that. 
Certainly, if you have proof that says otherwise, please say it. So we will say it in terms of the title. But if I am wrong, please let us know. Two intruders dressed as knockoff superheroes break into the NSB building. And as a third one is doing the same, Batgirl tries to stop him, only for him to boom away. A fourth man commits suicide by shooting himself in the head in a Comics Code Authority book. And then Batgirl and Mr. Ephraim, the head of the NSB, talk about the latest efforts of a Chinese Superman factory where imperfect versions, but not bizarre duplicates, of heroes are trying to do some spying and that the American agent investigating their scheme escaped their capture. Batgirl finds their base of operations and tangles with more not-so-super creations, and they disintegrate away. Batgirl thinks that she overhears Mr. Ephraim talk about Tony Gordon, her brother, who died years ago. Brett, what did you think of the story? Well, when you turn the page, the art's a little jarring after the Michael Golden story, but you kind of settle in a little bit. Basically, this premise is the plot point of every Mark Miller authority in Ultimates comic. <laughs> if you read any of that, it's, it's what it's always about. You know, the one thing that kind of surprised me about the art was uh, who Vince Coletta owned money to. I mean, look at all these backgrounds. Look at all this <laughs> ink. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I'm like looking through this. I'm like, like all these pages are filled in. What's going on here? I'll be honest. I'm not crazy about Juan Ortiz's art. It's a simplistic style, which is fine. And he's definitely sort of aping Kirby at spots. Although I do like the way he portrays Batgirl because she's not like a waif or something like that. You know, I was like... going to say she's very zuftig in this yep. issue. Yeah, yeah. She's got some strength to her, which is good. All the right curves. Yeah. All exactly. the right places. Exactly. And showing them kind of to the agent a little bit too, you know, like when, <laughs> yeah. when they go into the uh, office there. Getting a bit chesty with the agent. Let me tell you something. If I notice it, <laughs> it's noticeable. Fair. When she's in the office on page five, she's really quite strutting her stuff. But then yeah. you turn the page at the top of page six uh, and the guy is trying <laughs> to think and he's got his hand up against. And I'm sorry, they've drawn her breasts gigantic yes. in that yeah. panel. And they must be distracting this guy because he's like, <laughs> he's like trying to look away. <laughs> no wonder he's muttering about where agents are at the end. <laughs> I agree with you on Juan Ortiz. I think he's a bit simplistic, but I like the layout on page seven. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind yeah. of a neat thing. Yep. She doesn't mm -hmm. really look all that spooky she's not batman she's got a lot more yellow but i do like the layout and they're, they're trying to make her imposing and then the only other point i had on it was that i do like the fact that bob had her take advantage of their inexperience i thought that was neat they had some mm -hmm. superpowers and they exploded which to be honest with you it took me a while to get that till batgirl said they exploded i had to go back and, oh yeah they exploded I'm like that's weird but I do like that even though they had superpowers, she took advantage of that and was able to utilize her intelligence, which I always like when she does that. I like this story. And I think a lot of times you think I'd be more harsh. I actually like Juan Ortiz. I think we kind of said it's like a little bit more of a serious Staten, almost like Mike Parabek, even I mean, although he come like 20 years later. But I like it. It almost is like an, an animated figure, almost in a way, like when they had like the DC animated books and stuff like that. You know, I like it a lot. I like the story. I think the story is really neat. I really love that there is a splash page in this story because a lot of these backups never ever get a splash page just because they don't have the, the real estate to do it. Story-wise, my synopsis really was the story. I do think it's neat that they had a variety of quote-unquote superheroes. You had Superman, you had Flash, you had Green Lantern. I think that's cool. The only thing I don't like 
And this is any kind of detective story. The whole thing of where the dirt on their shoes is from (laughs) one part of the town. There are cliches, which, you know, the first time you read it, you don't even know it's a cliche, so it's fine. But then the 800th time you read it, it's kind of (laughs) almost too like when when people are going through ventilation shafts. First of all, it's like even possible. Like, are ventilation shafts (laughs) that big? They're big as maternity wards. You know, the man bear (laughs) Built by the same company, absolutely. I'm going to forgive aliens. Because that is great. And it's in the future. So maybe ventilation things. And die bad. hard. You got to die I, hard. That was my, that was yes, my yes. other. You've got the Jeffrey's my... tubes in Star Trek and they need the maintenance <laughs> yeah. tubes. You know? But also in Die Hard, it does look a little, you know, it's like a little yeah. snug. It's yeah. not like it's him and there's room for like his portable generator and like a lamp and the stuff. <laughs> he has like it does look tight in Die Hard. Die Hard is my favorite action movie. So I'll forgive that. One thing that's nice about it, dirt on the show is part that great back row panel and yeah. I love that yeah I think that looks great I do kind of think it's funny when they do this mystery that's not a mystery about Tony Gordon because <laughs> we already know he's a lot back then maybe not everybody got every single issue of it right but they're kind of setting it up like it's this mystery if he is a lot well we already know who he is he wrote a letter you can't write a letter if you're dead <laughs> but he burned that letter burned with it. the stamp on it Sean yeah with the stamp my, my favorite thing about the whole Tony Gordon thing is the fact that they set him up with a new identity where he's a lecturer at the Smithsonian when she's a congresswoman. So like, like she'd never run into him or anything, which is great. Real quick, going back to the art, you've swayed me a little bit. And I'm wondering if with a different inker, if he had like, who is Ramona Frayden's inker? Bob Smith. Bob, Bob Smith. His name for a long time. I'd like to see him with somebody like that. Yeah. And it probably would work. With the Super Friends, or like you said later when they were doing all the animated series, comic adaptations, be a good fit for stuff like that. Or Richie Rich, maybe. We do get Juan Ortiz at least one more time, I know, Uh over in Detective. And we'll find out more about him then, because I think I'll probably do history on him. And although it may not show her in a great light, I do love on page eight, the trap door. Is it a spring door? Whatever it is. Spring door, yeah. So I I do like that. I think that's... Yow! Yow! I also love on page 11 where she is bringing down the faux flash and she uses the gas pellets. I think it's a neat idea and I think it's drawn really well. You can definitely tell what's happening there. I I agree with that. It's probably a little bit self-serving for me because that sound click, 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 clap. It reminds me of whippersnappers. Do you remember what they are? There's little white things. They were tied. Oh, that where you throw them them down down the ground. Yeah, they 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 snap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the sound yeah. I'm hearing in my head when she's okay. like doing that. Did you ever like smash in between your fingers too? My God, no. Yeah, I did. I was a stupid kid. But it hurts. <laughs> Don't do it. So What we used to do, and I think probably everybody does, with caps, the red caps that you yes. that were, um, we didn't have a cap gun. So what mm-hmm. we would do is go in the garage and lay them out flat and then take a hammer like smash smash oh, the cats cool. with a hammer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very cool. When these people explode, first I thought they were being teleported. Yeah, that's what like I thought that. first. And too, then yeah. she mentions that they're blown right. up. Like how much do they explode? There doesn't seem to be a mess. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a mess or anything afterwards. I can see where that, because they say they disintegrate. I almost wish they would have either said they imploded or 
even if it would have been just a little pile of dust on the ground, yeah, I think that would have been okay. Yeah. Now, again, I don't think it was body parts and yeah, well, that's what I'm wondering. We already going. have a guy shooting himself in the yeah, head in this yeah. story. I mean, well, that didn't, didn't ink that part in. Maybe that was what it was. That is interesting <laughs> with the Comics Code Authority. I guess as long as you don't show right. innards coming outward. But it was pretty. Exp- I mean, the guys got the gun pointed at his head, and then in the next panel. Just bang. Bang. And then the next panel after that, the gun smoking smoking in his hand on the ground. Pretty explicit what's happening, which I I agree. That's a little surprising at this point. And this Ephraim agent, I don't know about it. First, he he comes in saying, hold it right there. And he's got his arms kind of out like this. Like, I don't know what agents enter the room. Like, like they're ready to give you a big hug or something. And then he's mumbling about a a protected agent, you know, just under his breath while Batgirl's in the room. I'm like, what? Just save that for another time. Not the best. But I like it i think it sets up this kind of like is an international mystery which that's super cool you've got the mystery of where these foe superheroes are coming from you got the tony gordon mystery and maybe that'll result in her finding him we'll have to wait and see let's move on to our third story it is called the crime rate is earth shaking starring robin with a cameo by doula dent 12 pager written by our bat cousin bob rosakis with once again Juan Ortiz art, this time inked by Bruce Patterson. It has been reprinted in Robin the Bronze Age Omnibus and Batman Arkham Joker's Daughter's Trade Paperback. Have you ever had a day where you were just feeling a bit overwhelmed? Most of us have. I think you will feel for our hero in this story. I think a better name for the story would have been Robin's Bad Very Day. That title would, of course, be corrected in the Digest reprint. Anyway, (laughs) our story starts out with Dick Grayson paying a visit to the Hudson University Herald office to check out some photos of Robin's recent clash with some bank robbers. He had just been about to nab their getaway car as they passed the new Carthage Reservoir. But then he had some bad luck as the reservoir burst and washed him away. But as Dick reviews the pics, the world's second greatest detective notices a strange device pointed out from the car at the reservoir wall right before it burst. Hmm. Problem number one. Just as Dick is thinking about what that crazy device is, the office gets a call that someone threw a bomb into the new Carthage jail. The explosion killed the three criminals the police were holding in the murder of Dick's classmate, Herbie, from last issue. I'd say friend, but Dick never seemed too broken up about it. And for some reason, Lori's still mad about that. You know, I don't know. Problem number two. Speaking of Lori, as Dick walks across campus, he spots her with her new hunky boyfriend, Dave Corby. Dick approaches her to talk, presumably to ask her why she is still mad. It must have been at least a week since the murder. But she inexplicably wants nothing to do with him. And hunky Dave Corby literally picks Dick up and tosses him on his butt. Dick would like to pound hunky Dick Corby like he was the Cavalier, but grr, secret identity. Lori is problem number three. His pal Dula then just happens upon him just to say she was leaving Hudson University for a while. Bummer. Problem number four. On his way back to the dorm, Dick runs into his pal Gary, who is worried that the device he is working on at his internship could be used as a weapon. He shows Dick a blueprint of the device, and it matches the doodad the bank robbers had. Aha! A break in problem number one. Dick ditches Gary so Robin can go check out the lead. He finds the bad guys and is venting his frustration by beating them up when then he is literally picked up by the scruff of his neck and belt for the second time this story, I will add, by a flying bad guy with wings who called himself the Raven. No, not that Raven. She's still a couple years away. This Raven tosses Robin into a brick wall and all the bad guys get away. Grr. No progress on problem number one. 
So Dick goes back to his dorm intending to talk to Gary. But the place is trashed and Gary is missing. Ah, friend missing. Problem number five. But probably related to problem number one. Let's face it. Just then, the phone rings. It's Babs. She's in trouble and needs his help then in Washington, D.C. right now. Yikes. Problem number six. We end our story with Dick not knowing what to do. To be continued. Brett, what did you think of Robin's bad very day? I mean, the crime rate is earth shaking. <laughs> right, right. Well, I guess they're trying to do like a whole Peter Parker thing with him. Right away, I'm impressed that Robin's punch was so powerful that the impact <laughs> lines show up in the photograph. I never That's, even uh, thought of that. You don't always <laughs> see. Yeah, so everybody who works with Dick looks like they're about 35 years old, too, which is interesting. <laughs> and here's the other thing. I've been reading along with you guys the whole time you've been doing when did he become a reporter? <laughs> Has that ever been mentioned before? I think he was there one time once. And okay. I don't remember if any of these people were there or his right. Gary. So other than Dula and Lori, <laughs> people just come and go. Now, in college, you see lots of different people and all that. So I guess that's okay yeah. for him to know yeah. a lot of different people. But not in every issue. Yeah. I just never saw him doing any of that stuff. So that was... That well, was he does make a mention. The, the editor does say, hey, it's the first time we've seen Dick in six months. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of like what I was saying last year, this is a difference between an eight-pager and a 12-pager. Like, you do get to have interactions with a supporting cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good point, good point. That's true. He blew it with Lori again. I've been... I, yeah, You've I been pounding that comments, one. I've been pounding that gavel. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect one or two semester girlfriend and he blew it so apparently she gets over things very quickly because she's with another football guy yeah like she has a type and i don't know why dick just didn't beat this guy up anyway i mean everybody <laughs> knows he was a acrobat no, not a true. secret so yeah. i mean he could easily beat this guy up and, and not have to worry about exposing himself as robin i'm not even gonna say anything about doula you're not a doula fan i am not I'm this not was supposed fan. to be her heading off to her series somewhere that yeah. right we still don't know where it would have been or what it would have done yeah. but uh, that's yeah. i think why she's walking away unfortunately and would every stress tester be potentially a super weapon I mean, he, he seems to be he seems to be really upset that he made this. I don't know why he made it a laser gun. I don't know why it wouldn't just be like a, but yeah, I guess that's. Well, I like how it was very precise because it washed Robin away, but the car just kept going. Right. And it didn't flood the town or anything like that. Why does the phone blow up in his ear? Did Batgirl rig that to blow up? I have no idea. I did a reread of Batman Family right before the podcast. And actually, I don't remember if they pick up that thread. It makes me think of The Outsider. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know if they even... And the issue's right there on the pile, but I'll wait a month and find Maybe out. Maybe it's the Sino Adam came through the, the phone <laughs> and, and vatoomed Dick right in, as he answered the phone. The cash. Yeah. That may be my favorite no prize ever <laughs> of this series so far. I I'm apparently a Juan Ortiz champion. And although I do like the art in this issue, I don't think it's as good as the Batgirl. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And that goes to show you, we give Vince Coletta a hard time, but when Vince Coletta puts his mind to it, he's a very talented dude and he can make a lot of things look good. Again, I, I like it okay, but it's not inspiring. And it, you know, when you compare it to, you know, Michael Golden or Marshall Rogers that we've been getting, it's a bit of a letdown, but it's not as bad as Don Heck. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing yeah. I definitely want to point out, I know that we are supposed to find our joy on the network, but <laughs> I want to find something else on page four, the very last panel where the guy is sitting in that chair. 
And I know we've talked about how Batman's leg earlier in the issue, but I am not going to kink shame anyone because I don't know what's going on in this panel, but apparently it's someone else's legs in front of this guy's torso. And that's cool. That's, you know, it's college. You know, you want to try things. It's sure. great. Maybe not uh, in the journalism office, uh, but again, like that's cool. I don't understand the proportions of them. I understand what they were going for. The kid with the perm's a lurker, apparently, so he didn't mind. <laughs> and again, Bat Cousins, that's fine and cool. Yeah, absolutely. Consent. Yep. Well, I'll give you one piece of art that I'm surprised you haven't mentioned, but I think that you'd really like. Page eight, top left corner. Sean made a big deal when Poison Ivy and Catwoman had their little heads with their captions <laughs> back a couple issues ago with Madame Zodiac. Here you've got Dick narrating a caption again with a little head in the corner there. So I thought that you would like that, Sean, because that's up your alley. And the figure of Robin in the next panel, I think yeah, that's, that's a good great. one. That's good. That is good. Juan Ortiz serves everyone well because we had Batgirl in the previous story and on page two you have a great shot of robin's butt <laughs> on page five you have dave corby like knocking him down on his butt yeah. on page nine you have robin literally bent over <laughs> on page 10 you kind of get a good like half shot when the raven picks him up juan ortiz everyone can thank you because we appreciate your artwork <laughs> you even got lex luthor in the game here on page eight <laughs> yeah. yeah page eight is a pretty good page you've got him on the motorcycle you got the headshot you got that thing mm -hmm. there the picture of Robin sort of in the shadow. Yeah. So that's not a bad page. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I don't dislike it. I got nothing else on this one. I think we have shown all the earth-shaking appreciation <laughs> that we're going to for this segment. And then in our next segment, we are going to talk about bat branding. And that's where we discuss the non-story pages in this issue. I'm going to go first, and it's the inside cover. It's black and white, which is the only bad thing about this ad, <laughs> because it says, kids, DC superhero collectors everywhere. Want to make your DC superheroes collection really complete? Then be sure you have all six Tempo DC superheroes activity books and all six Tempo DC comics in paperback. And we talked about this, I think it was last issue. I think it was, it was just week. half page. It was one of those Heroes Worlds ads. And you didn't really get to see each and every one of the books. But here you get to see all of them. The six activity books. It's Super Friends, Batman and Robin, Fun with Numbers, Batman's Supervillain Maze, Wonder Woman's Crime Busting Clues and Codes, Superman's Maze Challenges, Superman Seek Award, Scrape? Shapes. 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 Apparently I need to go to my eye doctor again. And those are all puzzle books. And then underneath that are basically the black and white reprints of the comics. And that's one for Batman, Superman, Superboy, and the Legion of Superheroes, Wonder Woman, World's Finest, and Justice League of America. Bat Cousins, if you had these books and loved them the way I did, please write in and let us know. I thought all of these were great. Now, I didn't have all of them. I still need Superboy. And I need, I think, four of the puzzle books. I see someone in the class raised their hand. Yes, I did. Well, I had three of them. I currently... Currently have two. I have the Batman one where they're swinging towards Two Face, and I have the World's Finest one. I used to have the Justice League one. I don't know what happened to it, but I had these when I was really young. So the first maybe like ten pages are all colored in, you know, nice it's black and white. So I, have, I love I have them colored in, yeah, poorly, but yeah, I colored them all in. Did you have any of these, Paul? I'm pretty sure I had the Batman one with the Joker face there on the front. Okay, yeah. Very cool. 
It's a groovy font too. The it, font. I, that was my comment there. It's like, yeah. what a 70s font. That would win Gabriel's horn. I keep looking at and think it says kids, DJ superheroes too. I don't know why. <laughs> I just keep, that, I keep thinking that's a J, even though it would yeah. be reversed. They definitely have dug into the psychological component because it says, want to make your DC superheroes collection really complete? Because <laughs> there's many a thing I have collected where it starts off, well, I'm just going to get these three things out of the set of 18 because those are the only ones I care about. And then you have right. them on your shelf and you're like, oh, well, I guess I could get some more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back cousins. I have some bad news because I am infuriated with your back cousin, Paul, because of my bad reading comprehension. But I'm going to blame him anyway, because I see Hostess Twinkies ad that I'm supposed to do. I see the world Batgirl and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I forgot that there was a Batgirl Twinkies ad in this issue. Oh, great. And I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm like, I don't see this at all. And then I reread it. It says after page six Batgirl, Hostess Twinkies and Cupcakes. But sports, Sean, with a yellow <laughs> highlighter, which means I'm supposed to talk about this. And I already told my Kellogg's 3D baseball card story. And that's the only sports story I care about. So I don't know what I'm supposed to talk about here. Yeah, I love Twinkies. I don't know if I love Twinkies enough to talk about sports. <laughs> that's enough right there. Well, I will say that I had some of these. They basically would use the same baseball guys all the time. It would be, I mean, this was like late 70s. So it would be Johnny Bench or Jim Rice or Steve Garvey, guys like that. If I got lucky, I might get, you know, I'm a Phillies fan. So I might get a Larry Boa or a Greg Luzinski or something like that, but not too often. <laughs> Sean's like, I have no idea who these guys are. I think he said seven names and I think I knew two of them. <laughs> Greg Luzinski was my favorite. I've okay. Yeah. At his barbecue place at the uh, stadium. Oh, did you? Yeah. Was he nice? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a place, they call it Bull's Barbecue or mm -hmm. something. And, and he was there. I don't know if it was the first year. This is at least six, seven, eight years ago. He was pretty cool. I always liked him when I was a kid. Yeah, I was a big fan too. So I don't know if I should be saying this on a recorded medium, but so this is the first time I'm reading this ad. <laughs> I, just, I just now see that there are 150 big league baseball cards and there probably were like three on a box. Oh my God. That's a lot. Weren't they on the backside? You had to cut them out. Yeah, to cut them out. Aren't these so. the ones that you shoved into your TV cabinet? No, no. <laughs> those were from Kellogg's Corn Flakes. Oh, they okay. were 3D baseball cards. Those oh, the 3D. Like heavily okay. I remember the, the, the he yeah. heavy ones. Yeah, I had some. Now, I will say it is nice that you can look at the back of the box and, and see, see which, which ones they are. Yeah. So, so I do think that's. Mom, I, think I need nice. 50 boxes of Twinkies so I can have the whole set. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to hand it off, but let me tell you, I got the raw end of the deal for this issue for talking about ads, because the next one is fantastic. The backside of that page, there is a terrific ad for the DC Explosion. It is just fantastic. You've got Meet Cinnamon by Roger McKenzie and Jack Abel in Weird Western Tales. Oh, she adds spice to Weird Western Tales. I like that. Shazam and World's Finest and the Human Target and the Brave and the Bold. That looks like Dick Giordano art and Don Newton on Shazam there. So that's one of the two DC Explosion ads. And then the other one is after page eight of Robin. Great 
subscription ad. And that's one of those ones like next month is the DC explosion, 44 pages for 50 cents. And they've got the covers of the books and sort of monochrome behind the ad. And you see the covers for next month, which will all have backup features in them with they expanded from 17 to 25 story pages. DC explosion was very exciting, you know, for three months. <laughs> but what do you guys think of these two ads? The thing that just blows my mind is 12 titles for 685. This blows my <laughs> mind when I look at that. But it's cool. I like the one with Cinnamon, the human yeah. target, Shazam. You know, yeah, it just makes the ad. characters look really dynamic and cool. I don't know if Cinnamon's going to want to walk around in those shoes in the Old West or anything <laughs> for too long. But other than that, I mean, it's going the human target, you know, like dodging bullets and stuff yeah. like that. Those are, Great that's, yeah, it's really cool. It's exciting. You know, they got the, the explosive fonts and everything. It, they do a good job with the ad. The DC explosion logo is fantastic, right? You got the DC mm -hmm. explosion, the DC bullet in the middle and the exploding stuff. Okay, cousins, buckle in. On the first explosion ad, I love Shazam and I loved when it flipped over to Don Newton. The shame is I think the last two issues of Shazam or maybe the last issue of Shazam went over to Don Newton. So I do wonder if they had done that a year before, if that would have saved that book because mm. he ran in World's Finest for quite a while. A bunch of appearances afterwards. And for Human Target, like I had been waiting and waiting and waiting to see if there was going to be a collected edition of Human Target. I don't think it's coming. So I used Mike's Amazing Comics. And again, Mike's is not a sponsor, but we talk about him enough. So there's a great character appearance guide on Mike's Amazing World, and it had every appearance of Human Target. So I went to eBay, I got all of them, and luckily, unluckily, I finished my collection right around the time of the pandemic. So I was able to read that series, and I love that series. And I know they have done it in live action twice. Twice. Um, I, Amazing. I don't, <laughs> I don't think it carries over into live mm. action very well, but I love the comic premise that he dresses up as the person marked for murder. I just think that's great. And their stories are so neat. You would think it's got an easy premise. There's no costumes, you know. Yeah. You could, I mean, that's probably why they tried it twice. The second show wasn't bad. It kind of went off the rails pretty quick. Did it last two seasons? I, at least two seasons, yeah. The tough thing is in the comic series and the first one, he dresses up as the person who is marked for murder. Depending on what actor you cast, there's probably a very limited amount of people who are going to be marked for right. murder. Now, right. the second version did it much better because he placed himself close to, adjacent to the yeah. person who was marked. Yeah. So, and that obviously works. A little easier. Yeah. 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 It was the guy from Boston Legal. I can't remember his name. I the forget actor. his name. I like him. The guy who played Rorschach. Jackie Earl Haley. Jackie Earl Haley. Yeah, yeah. He was in it too. And it was a good cast. It was, it was a pretty cool show. It just got kind of silly real yeah. fast, you know, the premise. But in the words of Jerry Blank, I've got something to say. On the second DC Explosion page, if you haven't seen it, Paul did describe it. But the cool thing is on Who's Who, they talk about the Serpent. And I don't know if there's a term for this, but... The covers are reprinted in black and white, but their logos are in color. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the ad Neat. for the best of DC treasury. Mm -hmm. And I think that sets it apart. It makes it look really, really cool. The other thing, I'm going to draw your attention towards the subscription box. And some of your choices are demand classics mm -hmm. and dynamic classics. That was mm -hmm. going to be the reprint line. Mm -hmm. uh, one was for war stories. One mm -hmm. was Batman stories. And Western classics, which never oh, yeah, yeah. Western classics. Never showed up. Mm -hmm. And number 91 is The, the Vixen. Vixen. Yeah. Canceled Comics Cavalcade. Yeah. So that DC explosion, man, that came hard and came fast. 
Firestorm is in there. Bunch of titles that were canceled, right? I have that dynamic classic. So do I. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, now we're going to move on. Following the Batgirl story is another Superman movie report. And this is fantastic because there's about 4,843 words of dialogue on this page. I actually read it. I did read it for a while. I did read it, yes. Let's let Brett cover this. Brett is going to be Paul's new co-host because I didn't read the tweets (laughs) out. I didn't read everything in the Superman movie report. So (laughs) congratulations, Brett. You are seeing the turnover of a new podcast. But one thing I did want to point out at this point in the 70s, Glenn Ford has been in movies for literally decades, Mm -hmm. at least 20 years, probably even 30 years, if not 40 years at this point. Gene Hackman, just because he's younger, has been in less. But if you just scan the report, which I did, for Gene Hackman, there's probably like 23 different movies that he's been in that's listed. Glenn Ford doesn't get any specific. It's all Western. Yeah, it just says Western. Any movie. You probably would have had to have gone to a specific book to get a listing of those movies. I understand that. I just thought that was really funny. (laughs) Not a single movie was listed. I viewed that the reason they listed all of Gene Hackman's is probably because he wouldn't talk to him. I think he has one line he quoted that some kid probably came up and he's like, oh, for God's sake. Yeah, here. (laughs) But then then Glenn Ford probably actually spoke to them a little bit about the Westerns and everything. So they had more actual quotes from him. That's what immediately came to mind, especially after the Hackman. The thing ends with a nice quote from him. He says, how does Ford see Pa Kent? Quote, he's a private person who minds his business with morals as basic as the soil he tills. <laughs> Back cousins, just to remind you, I had the Twinkies ad. I had the page with 4,000 words. Now we're going to hand it off to Paul, who gets to talk about the Clark Bar superhero sweepstakes. <laughs> Thank God I am leaving this podcast this episode. <laughs> Hey, I got to assign it. So, you know, what are you going to (laughs) do? So given how Brett likes Clark Bars, he should be very happy to see that the entire center spread (laughs) is a four-page Clark Bar Superhero Suite. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. (laughs) I'm amazed at that. If you haven't seen these ads, we'll include them. First page is Holy Taste Buds. It's the famous Clark Bar Superhero Speak Stakes with a metal gloved hand smashing through the page with a Clark Bar in the middle. That's all you get. You're like, what's that? You turn the page and there is a fantastic Dick Giordano might have some Neil Adams I can't tell it's a continuity associates Wonder Woman Batman Robin Aquaman and Superman in the middles all smiling and happy a lot of stuff about you could win a trip to Gotham and appear in a comic book and then it starts talking about all the prizes you could win too just by buying all these different Clark Bar products this was a classic ad from a lot of comics in my youth there is a similar ad to this with the Marvel heroes in the middle Mm -hmm. which I think is a really neat touch because somewhere in here it does say Marvel or DC comic and that reminded me that there is a Marvel version of this ad which is Mm -hmm. neat and wasn't there also one with just the Joker I don't remember that Hmm. I could be right sean i don't remember that but that'd be neat i think there was dc heroes marvel heroes and i think that there was one with just a, a two-pager like this or yeah just... yeah i'll look it up afterwards and if i find it we'll put it in had to be the most expensive ad dc or marvel had ever sold to be part of this and it was clearly a big deal i'd love to hear if anybody submitted to this and got a prize because the prizes are neat 
there's frisbees, there's flashlights, there's stickers, there's a kite, the watches. Now, these super posters that you see there, the artist's name escapes me. I have the Superman and the Batman posters where it's the painted image and then a panel at the bottom. Mm -hmm. I actually have them framed in the room out there, but I don't think I got them through this contest. A Superman light? utility belts, all kinds of neat stuff. I think this would be really cool. I'd love to hear if anybody got some of these by collecting the wrappers for a year, all year long. You could collect these wrappers and get these prizes, which, mom, I need 17 more Clark bars to get to the, the poster. <laughs> now, would you rather have second prize or third prize? Because second prize is you get a watch. And third prize is you get a year's subscription to your favorite comic. Yeah, I probably would have. I think I'd rather have third, third prize, prize, wouldn't you? At this age, yeah. yeah. At this age, definitely, yeah. When we're talking about the prizes, the neat thing is all of these prizes were real toys that you had seen before in the Heroes World yeah. ads. Yeah. All of these were stuff you could buy. And it wasn't some cheap stuff produced just for this contest. You got really for real merchandise. Yeah. So that's super cool. And I didn't put it through the inflation calculator. But it probably was like a pretty good deal. The watches are fourteen twenty-five plus twelve wrappers. You know, 1978. That's you know, not a lot of kids are gonna have that lying around. Gather around, little children, because I have a story of my past about <laughs> uh -oh. the Clark Bar ad. Years ago, and you can tell this story took place years ago because it takes place at Borders, which is no longer <laughs> oh. existing. So I used to work at Borders and we had some kind of promotion. I don't know what it was, where we had these clocks, plastic clocks. And I remember like the face of it was some kind of lenticular thing. And I don't know if you had to buy a video or you bought something and you would give away these clocks. So we probably had like 30, 40, 50 of these clocks and white boxes in the back. Well, of course, the end of this promotion, if we got 30 clocks in, we probably had 29 left over. <laughs> but the nice thing is that they were plastic and they were super, super easy to take apart. So you could just lift off the hands. So what I did is I spray painted the background so you couldn't see that image. And then I bought old, old DC comic that had this in the middle and oh, I wow. cut this out, <laughs> put it on that clock. And then that clock oh. I had for years and years and years and years and years in my bedroom. The, the first place <laughs> I had moved out when I moved out. Very that cool. clock was up there. And I'm surprised oh. I don't have it anymore. It must have disintegrated because I would keep I'd keep everything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> DIY, you're going to be on HGTV soon, Sean. <laughs> yeah. All I need is that supply of clocks again. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about Batmail family. So I was lucky enough to be given that to talk about. I am going to invite Scott Taylor, Alan Ferguson, Paul Ortega, Matthew Kurtz, David Harris, David Elier, Eric Baker, Wallace L. Hopkins, Paul Emrath, and Jeffrey Bailey. If you are listening to this, please write in. We've already had a letter writer come on to the show, and we would love to have you on again. And I'm not going to read every single thing. The regular Batmail family was about the issue with the five-in-one foe. <laughs> Scott Taylor said that he hopes that Batwoman shows up. He talks a lot of great things about Harlequin. He does say, I was thoroughly disappointed with Chapter 3, however, the original Batgirl appeared in only four panels and did so only to get clobbered. <laughs> Come off it. The Betty Kane I remember was a bit more agile and could have at least held out for another page. I agree, Scott Taylor. I agree. <laughs> he also talks about it'll be interesting to see how the man bat serum affects the baby. So that I agree with. Alan Ferguson says something that we have talked about before with regards to Bob Rosakis and his writing. He says, dear editor, 
Although they may seem antithetical to the Batman stories I admire in recent issues of Detective Comics, I found myself enjoying Bob Rosakis's tales of Batgirl and Robin. As far as I am able to reason away my pleasure, I guess it comes from the fact that Bob is the most cozy scripter in comics. <laughs> and he goes on to explain a little bit more. But it's like, as we say, a lot of crazy stuff happens and it doesn't always make sense, but it's always fun. It's always exciting. It's always a great time. His best quote was, the fury in five in one foe proceeds from start to finish in furry slippers because he's so cozy. I thought that was a great line. <laughs> We're going to move on to Batman family. And this is always neat because it was a special letters page. It kind of almost always revolved around a theme. This theme was the announcement of them going to Dollar Comics. And people were writing in like what they wanted to see. A lot of stuff for Batwoman. Yay, I agree. I would have loved to have seen this. Dave Elyea talks about how the carnival background would have been fantastic, a fantastic background for that, a series, mm -hmm. and bring Bathound in with her. I mm -hmm. would have loved that. Nice. Matthew Kurtz says, my last letter to you is about Batwoman getting her own series in Batman Family. This letter is about all of the Bat females, Batgirl, Batwoman, Batgirl, and the Huntress. Just because the magazine is going to dollar comic size does not mean that Batman must have a 17 to 20 page story. <laughs> After all, Superman only gets six pages in Superman Family. Yeah. But unfortunately, it went the exact opposite way. Welcome to the world of comics even today. Yeah. <laughs> but he does bring up a good point. He says, anyway, Batwoman deserves a series more than the Huntress does. After all, Huntress is seen in All-Star and Batwoman is nowhere to be found. That's true. That's very true. I like the team up of Two-Face, Clayface, and Dr. No-Face. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Dave who said that. Good job, Dave. I would have liked it to be a little bit more rotating. Yeah. And I would have loved to see Batman villains, but they go up against different other heroes. Yeah. You could have done a calculator type story where somebody fights Robin and then Batgirl and then Man Bat and then yeah. uh, Huntress, you know, all kinds of stuff. Or no, 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 no. I mean, have the Penguin go up against... The Adam or Captain oh. Stingery go up against Vixen or whoever. I think that would have been. That would have been a sales blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> My pal, Paul Emrath, though, his ADD was acting up. He just can't handle Earth 1 and Earth 2 characters in the same magazine. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you like these letters pages too, Brett? It's always kind of interesting to see what they're into or, or what came to be because you can look at this, what, 50 years ago, almost. So you can kind of look to see who was right, who was wrong. As far as them not wanting 17 page Batman stories, good luck with that. Good yeah, luck that's not that. going to happen. So yeah. that's why it's a dollar comic. We have one last Bat branding. It's before page four of the Man Bat story. You've got another Heroes World ad, but this one's interesting because it talks about the Neil Adams fan club. There's a couple of very poorly reproduced sketches by Neil Adams at the top. At the bottom, there's an ad for the comic book price guide, a poster book, and then The Art of Neil Adams, Volume 2. It's got Superman throwing a piece of rock behind him with the atomic mouse. Is that his name? I actually had that book, The Art of Neil Adams, Volume 2, and yeah. I don't recall where I got it. I don't think I sent away here, but I'm curious if any of our Bat cousins have the poster book, the DC poster book. They've got an Adams Green Arrow, Green Lantern on the ad for it. I'd be curious what that looked. Do you have that Sean? No, I had it. I bought it oh. off the stands when oh, wow. it was out. Cool. I took the posters out. I had them up on the wall. Oh, very cool. Was it all Neil Adams or just no? There were some classic images that you like the the, the Riddler where his hand, uh. where he kind of like his 
foot is cocked up and his hands. But I'm thinking there were some new pieces for the poster book. There's a beautiful Supergirl and Superboy. I think by Dick Giordano, that is beautiful. There's this cool image of Flash running. So Bat Cousins, when we talk about these pages, we also talk about me going to eBay first before you guys outbid me. Well, have at it because the least expensive DC poster book is $100. So (laughs) hold off for a little bit. I had this too. And when I I remember reading this ad and it just hit me like a lightning bolt because all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I remember this. Because of course, you know, I took them all out. The only Batman one, I think, was him and Robin in the Batmobile. I think that was the only one. Or maybe there was one more. Mm-hmm. I can't, there wasn't as much Batman as you'd think there'd be. There was a lot of the villains, though. There was a Joker. There was, I remember the Riddler one. I think there was a Penguin one. There was one of like all the villains. I remember you mentioned the Superboy, Supergirl, the Green Arrow, Green Lantern. Was there a Justice League one? I actually don't remember. I- I'm not I'm saying there to... wasn't. There should have been a Justice yeah, League. Yeah, I'm trying to remember because I remember I had them all and I remember I put them up my wall and they just slowly fell off or tore or were lost to time. Even the front and back wraparound cover is beautiful with all, all of them yeah. running. Yeah. Yes, it was really cool. And it, I hadn't thought of that in probably 40 years. And all of a sudden cool. it just it just hit me like a lightning bolt when I saw this. This is the really service cool. we provide back. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That in going to ask your parents for the one-time fee of $75 for the Neil Adams Art Club. <laughs> oh my God, what? In the top area, you have that yellow square in the middle. You can do it month to month, or if you do it, you can do a one-time fee of $75. <gasps> for the wow. Okay, we are going to move on to the once and future man bat, starring man bat. Nine pages written by Bob Rizakis. Penciler is Danny Bolandi. Inker is Romeo Tangal. Man bat in the once and future man bat. She bat, he bat, a we bat, I bat, you bat, a they bat, B bat, B bat, a loo bat, bat shubat. Our splash page shows us snafu, snafuing a crowd of people at Madison Square Garden as a bat creature is about to swoop down and stop him. But the next page shows us Kirk in bed asleep. He wakes up to discover that Francine isn't in the apartment at all. Then we go back to MSG to see Snafu fouling up the bat creature situation. But Manbat swoops in, rescues his fallen comrade in wings, and returns to the apartment. We find out that the first bat creature was Francine, who Rob Kelly ingeniously dubbed as Franbat, and that her guilt over Kirk's situation caused her to gallivant around NYC. Manbat heads back out to make short work of Snafu and then collects the reward. What did you guys think of the story? I'm going to start with Paul this time. Oh, my big question as a dad, does Kirk just leave Rebecca, the two-month-old baby, (laughs) by herself in the apartment? What are you thinking, dad? That may be the most 70s moment when (laughs) you could just ditch out on your kid and child protective services didn't matter. I prefer to think that the downstairs neighbor is now reformed and is a man that aficionado. <laughs> oh, he comes upstairs and <laughs> You're going to leave a two-month-old baby with that guy? Come on, man. I, I guess as opposed to leaving her alone. <laughs> He's probably up. to step up. So, yeah. <laughs> but not just to leave her alone. To leave her alone to go battle a supervillain 
where both her mother and father could be right. killed. <laughs> She'd be right. alone in that apartment for days. All right, all right. I'll get off my dad. A simple caption, Mrs. Hopkins across the hallway. Right. Luckily looked yeah. after her. Yeah, I guess. All right. You know, my reaction here, I would have liked to seen Francine get a little bit more to do as she bat or Fran bat, whatever we call her. But, you know, we'll just wait a few years. We'll see more of her. It's a shame. And they wouldn't have written it this way today, but she was subconsciously doing it. But then I read it again. I'm like, was she? Because if you look at the panel on page five, where she's back in the apartment, Kirk goes flying off. The expression on her face, I like to read it that she did it on purpose to get him back out there. That's how I'm no prizing this, is that Kirk wants to think it's his idea, but she did it to get him back out there. That's my line, and I'm sticking to it. One more thing to piggyback off the whole baby thing is I don't know any baby that sleeps that well either. That's That's insane how much this baby sleeps. This baby's just always asleep. Never cries. And if it has that man that screams, yeah exactly exactly you think it would like break all the windows yeah. like where are the parents yeah. the parent, this baby is screaming and there's no parents here while i'm on it one more thing this manhattan apartment is enormous and this, <laughs> even the bed they have this gigantic king-size bed and what he's working in a factory right now and before that it's just amazing dollar went a lot further back there there's your 70s moment <laughs> and i'm actually asking this as a serious question i don't understand snafu like it's is he sort of like count vertigo but it's more like sound as opposed to visuals or something like that is that kind of sean's the snafu expert okay. so I'll let Sean <laughs> please this sound and light to disorient people i think he can specifically direct it towards people one thing i absolutely love and this was the first time i really really saw it drawn well and distinctly is his costume is constantly changing colors like you guys saw that right like all yes. throughout yeah so so i even think it's like strobe lights and mm, and again okay. and back cousins i'm sorry i will say this every time i see snafu i wish he would be in animation because i think that would be fantabulous mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. just so frenetic and weird and when you think about aquaman in animation and he does his I don't think it's sound effects like that. I think it's like all this weird cacophony where you hear car horn, you hear violin strings, you hear glass shattering, all this weird stuff that doesn't make sense together, but it's so disorienting and the lights and all that. Yeah, that'd be cool. It don't know me today. I think we don't know Snafu's name. And I think technically I should be mad about that. (laughs) I I think I'm going to let it go because I love, I guess, I guess I'm going to write slash snafu fiction because slash food. I can't say synopsis. So I don't know why I'm trying to say that. If I was a DC writer, man, I would put him in a book tomorrow because I just think it's, especially, I just think it's fantastic. I love that character. So my love for snafu probably like overrides a bunch of stuff because really my synopsis was kind of like exactly what happened. Nothing really happens. It's like, yeah, you complain about the Clark bars, but you got the easy end of the synopsis this month. Come on. <laughs> because really, it's like, well, that didn't work last time, but now I have a super new power that I'm going to use, like, <laughs> yeah. which isn't really ever explained. But why is he at the ice skating rink to be like, what's his end game here? He just wants to cause havoc. He's, he's not trying to steal anything, right? Like, what's he doing there? That was the other thing I was trying to read through. He, he escaped from jail. We know that right? from the last issue. But... So naturally, you go to Rockefeller center right yeah i don't know what he's actually doing that maybe he yeah i don't know i don't think that that's covered that's a good question i just think 
like the green jealousy on both of your faces over Snafu is not very becoming. You can't, you're carrying a lot of water for Snafu here. I don't. Well, that's fine. That's fine. We'll it is it a theme. He is carrying it through. It is identifiable. <laughs> I'm ride or die for Snafu. It's nice stories. Nice little two-parter. I know we've already got a few comments from last month about the fact that Fran that doesn't wear pants or a shirt. So right, right. you know we'll let more comments fly on that. Oh, thank God she wasn't drawn by Juan Ortiz. Yeah. <laughs> on page seven, where Manbat is holding his head, and like you see the different images of Snafu. Oh my God, I think that looks so cool. Yeah, that is a pretty cool thing. Maybe you can explain to me how to Manbat turned off his sonar but used his hearing. Do I have that right about how he actually defeated Snafu there? Last time he defeated him using his sonar, right? But this time he turned off his sonar but used his sensitive hearing. I was a little confused by that, you know, not being an 11-year-old boy. And one other thing, it's on page five. The desire and determination to commit a crime triggers the brain into emitting a special kind of wave. So, <laughs> so he's in the middle of New York City and he's going to be able to zero in on one crime. That was the thing that That's just That's his man batty right? sense. That shows to me how great a hero man bat is. <laughs> However, I am worried because if that's true about the desire to commit a crime, admits a thing. He's hearing my plot against Paul for giving me these ads in this issue. So should take out that life insurance policy on him already. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know how to block that out. So I did think he'd like the end. This is where he's gonna go call Jason Bard and go into private practice. And thus begins the golden age of man bad. <laughs> Man, you think I'm a Man Bat fan now? Wait until the detective agency comes around, because, man, <laughs> I am here for it. I'm excited because I've heard of that, but I've, I haven't read any of it where he's a detective or a PI, yeah, a private investigator. I'm, I'm excited. All right, I think we can move on. But before we do... I could talk 20 minutes more, but I'll let you go. <laughs> but before we do... We're going to talk about Danny Bulanati. Most of what I got is from the bio section on his website, but there are a couple other links that I'll include in the show notes. He was born in 1946 in Manila, the Philippines. His love of drawing came at an early age, drawing on the side of his parents' house. <laughs> that would later translate into copying artwork from American comic books that his mother would purchase for him. So I thought that was a neat thing. He studied various art forms at the University of Santo Tomas in the Philippines. What's that, Sean? You got something to say? My partner went there. Oh, did he go to the Oh my God, yes. Thomas? Yeah, there you go. yes. God, I can't wait to tell him. Yes. Yes. Uh, very cool. Later, he worked as an assistant for Tony Duzinega. Like a lot of these Filipino artists in the 70s, they all sort of hung out together. Danny said, when I was working for GMS Comics, I met Tony. That's a Filipino comic company. I've met Tony. I talked to him and found that he was looking for an assistant. I applied for it and was accepted. He adopted me. I lived with him and he taught me what he knew. I thought that was neat. When he became more established, Danny worked on Filipino comics such as Huaga, Espiano Comics, Tagalog Classics, and so on. He also studied with noted Filipino artist Nestor Redondo, who we've talked about before, who's a terrific artist. By 1975, Danny moved to the United States. With the aid of his friend, Romeo Tangal, Danny met Joe Orlando, who liked his work and gave him an assignment. This led to further assignments and titles such as Commandy, The Legion of Superheroes, and Weird War, and this rare penciling assignment for these two Man Bat stories. He then moved over to Marvel Comics, inking the likes of Pat Broderick, Gil Kane, and Butch Geis on the Micronauts series. His consistency and speed in inking 
led to long stints on the Fantastic Four and Captain America. And that's where I would have seen his name most often. He stayed at Marvel doing a lot of that inking until 1997, New Universe, all kinds of things. Somewhere in between all the inking jobs Danny was doing for Marvel and DC, he found time to create and design several characters for a Canadian television station in Newfoundland. The character he created was Captain Newfoundland, co-created with Jeffrey Scott. He also designed the costumes for the various Atlantic Universe characters, including the famous Captain Canada. I will put a link to the Captain Newfoundland stuff that I found in the show notes. I would love to know if our Canadian bat cousins had ever heard of him or watched it or there were comics or whatever. In 1988, during a slowdown of comics, Danny moved to Los Angeles to work in animation. He was a storyboard artist for both Hanna-Barbera's Johnny Quest cartoon and Marvel Productions' Transformer cartoon. He also did stints in video game character design as well as some commercial art. He was a prolific inker. He had 401 story credits in Mike's Amazing World, mostly for Marvel. His penciling credits, at least for the big two, were pretty rare. And so we got two of them in these past two issues. He liked to paint subjects like Native Americans, Filipino folk life, scenery, according to a quote in his bio. Finally, a later in his career, he contributed as an artist and a designer on a 312-page comic book adaption of the Bible for No Greater Joy Ministries, which has published that book in several different languages. It's called the Kingstone Bible. I looked it up. Kingstone is a publisher of religious comics. The Bible adaption is three volumes. Their website says that the greatest number of pages were under his art direction. So I thought that was really neat. And the website notes that Danny was a student of legendary artist, fellow Filipino, Nestor Redondo, as we said. But before he died, Nestor made Danny promise that he would also illustrate the Bible characters. And so he made good on his promise to his mentor, which I thought was kind of neat. And a brief interview on the Kingstone website had a question. What is your advice for artists wanting to break into comics? And Danny said, concentrate on what you really want to do. You got to study to become a good illustrator, spend more time drawing, working on movement and shading, show your work to different publications, follow their advice, and the biggest thing, accept correction. So Danny unfortunately passed away on November 30th of last year, 2022, at age 76. Note, if you do want to check out his website, there's not a lot on it, but there's some, some stuff on that. According to there's a note on the website that they're going to deactivate the website December 31st of 2023. So thanks for letting me talk about him. He was an interesting bad history segment on a guy I knew mainly as an anchor. So I thought that was a neat one to talk about. Real quick too, I just yeah. wanted to, for everybody listening, it's always my favorite part of the show is is the is the history. I love I love the history segments. Fantastic. You. you do a great job with it. Well, uh, thanks. I find it interesting to just hear about the different, I like all kinds of aspects of comics, right? I like to read them. Yeah. I like to learn about the creators. I like to, the business side, uh, all, all different aspects. Some of these guys, where else are you going to really hear about the life right. of somebody like Danny Bolinati, right? Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the fifth story. Gotham Town is burning down. Starring the Huntress, a 10-pager by our pal Paul Levitz, with art by Joe Staten and Bob Layton, uh, later reprinted in that Huntress Dark Knight Daughter trade paperback, as well as the Huntress Origins trade paperback when they had the movie. Huntress is still investigating the arson in Gotham, but has been unable to get any concrete leads. At work, she has another confrontation with her nemesis, Roger Damaris, who points out that they should back Councilman Gresham in his bid to rebuild South Gotham. Helena agrees, and she spends the next few days searching for clues while Roger researches Gresham and his agenda. After a workout in her apartment, Helena turns on the TV to hear Roger debating Damaris and insinuating that the fires are causing a lot of federal aid to flow to Gotham and make Damaris look good. 
Helena smacks her head in a V8 moment and goes to Damaris' apartment to try to get a look at his files. But she is caught in the act by Damaris and his bruiser, who knocks the Huntress out, ready to be disposed of. To be continued. Brett, thoughts on the Huntress story? I like this. I like Joe Staten doing the art. I think he, again, I guess he helped create this character. So he just, yep. he just nails it. It's a fun story. It's the middle part, right? What's hard about this is there's not yeah. really a beginning, middle, and end. It's, right. you know, it's the middle part of a three-part story. Right. But it carries on. And the one thing about when she's she's kind of been going on a lot of this hemming and hawing about the lawyer thing, though. I mean, that's yeah. kind of dragging on. I think at some point the boss has to be like, all right, just make up your mind. What do you want to do? <laughs> the other guy, what's his name? Demarest. Uh, right. I always enter a room in a full-speed lunge when I'm, uh, when I'm going towards <laughs> I don't know if Staten just ran out of room and I wasn't sure how to have the guy approach or what. Such a bizarre panel. <laughs> One thing I wanted to say is, I don't know why I fixated on it, but on page three, this guy has a getaway car that he's going. And I was looking at that car. Okay, so he had this thing parked in some shady part of, of <laughs> Gotham. And I looked at that. I'm pretty sure that state based this off of BMW in like the late 70s made a car called the M1, which was supposed to be in, in the works with Lamborghini to make a race car. <laughs> and then it fell through. So they ended up making it and just selling it to the general public. I mean, if you could afford one, obviously. I think they made less than 500 of them, but yeah. they only made it from about maybe 78 yeah. to like 80, 81, something like that. And I'm pretty sure that's what he based this car on. So <laughs> there's your car fact of the day. But I, I really fixated on that for some reason. And like, where did this guy park this thing? Was it under, it had to have been under a tarp or something. That thing would have <laughs> been gonna last too long in It, it would have been gone. Yeah, it would have been gone in South Gotham. The thing with her apartment, where it's kind of got that cool apartment, when she's doing the exercises, I really thought, a Monday morning quarterbacking here, but I thought it would be a really cool design if Staten had done just the layout of the apartment and when she's doing her workout, just have you know how like the flash they'll have the different, yeah little images you know, of like her if they all just had it. her going across the apartment doing yeah. different things, I think you would have gotten a better sense of it that way. I think that yeah. would have been a cool thing to do. Yeah, that was my favorite part of this installment of the story is is yeah. the workout, and we'll include that page in the show notes. You've got Helen in a gymnast outfit, and she's. Mm -hmm using her furniture in the apartment, which just looks like it's decorative, but it actually, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, the coffee table boings with like a vault. Is <laughs> it's that like what a coil there? Kind of like a trampoline. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Boing, yeah. like that, like yeah. a, a gymnast vault, right? I thought that was yeah. neat. And she uses all the different things in her furniture as a workout room. So who right. needs the gym room when you can just jump around your whole, in her case, exactly. she can afford a giant apartment. Unlike Kirk and Francine, right? She can afford right. it. Right, right. Yeah, it makes sense that she would actually have one with Wayne money. Absolutely. The one panel on page nine, the second to last panel, and again, this is just something weird I fixated on, looks just like a Gene Colan image. Oh, just like that yeah. style with the feet kind of breaking the panel. And so that just, yeah. it looked like he, I don't know if he was running out of time and just stole that, that Somewhere. or something like that, but, mm. but it looks just like a Gene Colan picture. I see that. I see it. Yeah, yeah. I see it. Uh, that and they can't decide on the the bad guy's hairline. That's the other thing. It, it keeps <laughs> moving. Well, Roger, her work nemesis, he's a creep, right? But yeah. he figures this out, right? I mean, he, mm -hmm. he figured out that this guy. So he originally wanted to back him because he was going to rebuild God. But then, as he's figuring it out, 
he changed his mind. That, that was very understated, I thought, in terms of the storyline. I mean, he was because yeah. he started out saying, oh, we got to back this guy. And then next thing you know, he's on TV debating him. And I was like, huh, I thought that was an interesting twist. I don't know what, where Paul's taking that, but that's kind of a neat thing. That was my uh, interesting point. And I appreciate that he didn't change for the TV appearance. He kept the same outfit on with the, <laughs> he with the big medallion. He's like, he's like, I <laughs> explained this. I got this medallion out, man. I'm not putting this away. <laughs> this is an all day thing. Sean, you've been quiet on this story. What do you think? I think he looks like Peter Noon from Herman's Hermits. Yes. Yes, he does. Yes, he Especially does. The, the close up on page eight. Kind of like how I said in the very first Batman story, like I still remember Batman down in the ice crevasse and him getting the, the ice, yeah. that huge icicle like under his Helena's apartment is in my head, yeah. rent free. <laughs> Even now, like anytime I think of Huntress, I always think of like her apartment, how cool, yeah. what a great idea that was. The layout was cool. I echo, I don't know if I have a lot of different things to say, but it's tough being a middle part of a story yeah i think it balances well because like there is action but then there's also story there's a little bit of characterization i agree with brett she kind of needs to get over the feelings about oh yeah. well guys let's 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 give paul a break here <laughs> this is only his second story so yeah. <laughs> so we'll see if she wraps up with her commitment because she does continue to be in the lawyer and i read those before i interviewed him so i don't remember it dragging on much longer so hopefully he puts that to bed soon is that it? Do we have anything else to say? Well, I'll have something to say in the 70s. <laughs> are you ready to go dancing, Sean? Yes, we are going to go to Gabriel's Horn. The hip happen and hang out for the Teen Titans in the 1970s. We'll talk about the most 1970s moment in this issue from any of the stories. Now, before we start, I will say for me, I didn't have a lot of 70s. And the ones I pulled, I don't think are spectacular. If anyone feels that they have a great one and want to go last, that's great. There's not a ball off your chair laughing one this issue that I could find yeah. either. Yeah. But let's see. Yeah. So Brett, what did you what did you have? That's just any story. Oh, okay. Chris Hobart from the Robin story, the guy that with the perm and the shirt, the guy is just walking 70s. As soon as he walked into the room, he's, I think he's supposed to be the, is he supposed to be like an editor? I can't even remember that. He was like one of back. the reporters. Yeah. Yes, yes. That guy is just the walking poster for the yes. 70s. So Chris yeah, Hobart, obviously the BMW I mentioned earlier. Yep. And just as a generalization in the Batman story, Taking time to create an elaborate way to kill a hero. You just don't see that as much where he, where he said, instead of just shooting him, he's stuck in the hole. He could just shoot him. But no, he's going to, in the snow, he's going to take time to make a fire. Couldn't make it beforehand. He had to wait <laughs> because he had to wait till Batman fell into the trap first, then make the fire. And then let it slowly melt away these giant icicles. So that's that's dedication. So I like that. You don't I see like that, that as much too. anymore. Sean, do you have any more in the first story? Because I have two small ones in one panel in the first story. I had nothing from the first one. You know, we see a lot of people smoking. So the driver is smoking in the first story. Oh, uh, yeah. But he's also got his map unfolded on top of the steering wheel. Yeah. So that's uh, a, that's too, bit, too, yeah. But they're in the same panel. I thought that was neat. Yeah. Now, was a taser a new thing in the 1970s? Did they have those two puncture <laughs> things on? On it i don't know how teasers work you know eh. in the batgirl story you've got all the paper files all over the place eh, again not too much there's photos in the robin story and then in man bat there is i believe a, a, the mention or page five the mention of the uh, world trade center yep is there yeah yeah, yeah uh, but yeah. that's not really 70 but i don't remember when it was first built in the 60s was it no was but it, i think i still think that places it in the that 70s. counts yeah. yeah that counts yeah. all right i think yeah. you talked about that editor guy's outfit roger the outfit in the Huntress story with the medallion yeah, and oh, the yeah. neck. Oh, yeah. but what i'll call my best one for the issue is the fact that he makes a big deal about helena having a tv in her office 
Yeah. <laughs> and so he calls it an inbuilt in TV. Because you hear built in, like a built in yeah. TV, yeah. but it was inbuilt TV. Yeah. But, you know, and then I just happened to notice when we were looking at her apartment, if you look at her, it's a load bearing television. The TV sticking out from the wall, the giant thick TV inbuilt oh, yes. to the wall uh, on yeah. the top of the page. Yeah, not a great issue for Gabriel's horn. In the back row issue, you can just see it in the one panel on page seven. The uh, agent has one of those old intercom boxes oh, like the charlie's angels one. thing yeah that's a good one brett yeah, i forgot about that oh yeah so robin the very first page it's like a printed photo yeah and i don't know that you would really have that back row had the most the fact that they use oriental yeah. for asian yeah. Yeah, 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 so yeah, that's yeah, that's one yeah. the laundry prices listed on page eight Oh, I didn't look at I that. usually catch I the prices. So prices. Anytime is prices. That's uh, one. I missed that. This one goes out to Shag. Firestorm recently appeared on the scene. Yes. There's a mention of that yes. on page six. Yes. Yeah, this wasn't a great. I think this was probably Tuesday at Gabriel's Horn. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't a weekend. It's like a Tuesday night. Yeah. Short staffed, you know, <laughs> just maybe close a little early if it's getting quiet. That's probably a good idea. Send the bus boys home early. There you, you know, go. I can, we'll I can finish early. up. Well, speaking of closing early, that just about wraps us up for the issue. Early. <laughs> We'd like to thank our special guest, Brett Young, for stopping thank by you. the reunion. Brett, you want to remind yes. people how can they get in touch with you? Well, I do not have a podcast. I know that makes me sort of a, a weirdo in this uh, community, but <laughs> unless somebody is in the market for like a comic book, Philadelphia sports, like Hallmark Christmas movie podcast, then... Uh, <laughs> You know, get, let me know. Give me a call. Maybe we can work that out. No, by trade, I'm a graphic designer and a web designer. So my company is called Imagine 8 Design. The word imagine, the number 8 design. My website is imagine8design.com. And I'm on Instagram at imagine8design. And I recently started, I have a bunch of uh, designs on TeePublic. And that's tpublic.com slash user slash cool Jeep. C-O-O-L dash Jeep. Right now, they're mostly sports related for the most part, but I have some other stuff on there. And I've actually, I only put it up a week ago. I've only sold like three of them. So that's kind of cool. Nice. Yeah. So I'm basically independently wealthy at this point. <laughs> <laughs> basically, the thing I do every Christmas is I've done this for about seven or eight years now is I do a Christmas book for my kids. Something cool. to read to them on Christmas Eve and everything like that. I'll write and illustrate and I'll get printed and everything like that. So oh, very cool. I've written a couple of so it's like I might as well expand this. So I've written and drawn two books. One is about a young girl who's a ballerina at the beach. And another one is about an autistic boy. It's a children's book that basically just preaches kind of acceptance and understanding kids like that. So I've, I've been shopping those around to various book agents trying to get those printed. No dice yet. But if anybody knows a book agent, let me know because I've sent it out there a lot so far. I'll let you know if those yeah, I'm sure uh, they all get, listen to this get a bite. I'm sure they do too. That's why I figured this was the best that's the whole reason for me being on here it's, <laughs> playing the long game yeah i'm playing the long game exactly well we appreciate you coming on brad we yeah. thank you for your support of the show and thank being you. part of the community uh, hopefully we'll get you back again before the show ends i love it i love it thank you all right so we're going to pay a podcast promo when we return we will read and respond to your listener feedback In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire & Water Podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, The Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire & Water Podcast Network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel Team Up 
Yes. The brave and the bold? You know it. Marvel 2-in-1. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents... Of course. Supervillain team-up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically. FW Team-Up, coming this summer, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Welcome back. Now we will read and respond to your listener feedback for episode 18, Art Smuggling, Sewer Water, and the Pentagon, with our special guest, Bill Beer. First up, our fearless bat leader, Rob Kelly, says, Regarding the leg panel, far be it from me to criticize the work of Michael Golden? Yeah, Batman's leg is way too long. It's not foreshortening exactly because the shot is at an angle, not directly at the camera. But if Batman put his leg down, he'd be about nine feet tall and the other <laughs> leg would be dangling in the air. Regarding Bill's catastrophically wrong opinions about Man-Bat, between this and the Jim Aparo slander two episodes ago, Batman Family Reunion is quickly becoming the most controversial show on the network. <laughs> that said, I agree, sort of. I don't think Man-Bat works as well as straight-up superhero and even less as a villain. He's more like Bizarro an agent of chaos that our hero has to deal with. Also, guys, 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 Francine as Man-Bat would be Fran-Bat. It was right there. But no, Sean was too busy writing Grimbor slash Fick in his head while <laughs> Paul was clearing song rights with Bruce Springsteen's management. <laughs> Bill's Twinkie-eating contest could be its own comic book mini. Too bad Contest of Champions is taken. <laughs> In my day, I would eat five Twinkies between buying them and biking home. Fun fact, I am overweight. <laughs> As you mentioned, the water drips on the Huntress inset is a great detail. Love the extra effort. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Next up, my bat buddy Dan takes a trip down from New Hope to the reunion and says, Possible answer to the lack of pants on Man-Bat mystery. Man-Bat wears torn pants to cover his private parts, like the Hulk, right? I mean, when he turns into Man-Bats, his privates don't just disappear. Whereas if they had drawn pants on her... They would have also had to given her at least a bikini top, too, which had have revealed her to be a woman. And since she's the only woman in his universe, that would have given away the twist ending too early. I went back and looked. The art avoids shots of her torso and her body does look female. Maybe she's wearing a coverall jumpsuit that I guess she whipped up while the baby was napping. By the way, I didn't see the reveal coming. You guys are too darn sharp. And I recall also, I think, Green Arrow doing the elevator jump life-saving maneuver. Great podcast as always. You guys trade off one another perfectly. Thanks, Dan. Another bat cousin, bat enemy of the shoe, also opines on the pantless and topless Fran bat. He says, maybe a topless Fran bat wearing the purple pants would be worse than a naked Fran bat. What was the conversation like between the artist and the writer? Can we put a shirt on her? Then her butt would be exposed. How does Donald Duck get away with it? <laughs> Good points, guys. Matthew Davis says, Hope everyone had a nice Memorial Day weekend. For some reason, this Batman story is one from this era that has really stuck in my head over the years. I don't know why. There are a lot of one-off characters like Barry Dark, Tabitha Blayton, and the Gargoyle Gang. Maybe it's Batman chasing the gargoyles through the sewers trying to outrace the rising water. Loved it as a kid and loved it now. You gotta give props to Barry Dark. He dresses <laughs> great for a job where people don't see him. I mean, 
are you guys wearing a mohair suit and alligator shoes? <laughs> no. By the way, Matthew, that is hilarious because I am a gay guy who absolutely does not care about how he dresses at all. Like 99% of my wardrobe are polo shirts, like solid color polo shirts. <laughs> and I am positive I'm the only gay man who still wears khaki shorts <laughs> uh, with all the pockets and everything. Like I love my cargo shorts. <laughs> Getting back to Matthew. In a way, I don't blame Lori for being mad at Dick. All she knows is a friend of hers was shot and killed in front of her, and her boyfriend ran off for who knows where. And this is after her former boyfriend abducting her last issue. Dick could tell her he's Robin, but he's hamstrung by the sidekick conundrum. If he tells Lori he's Robin, that's pretty much saying Bruce Wayne is Batman. But still, man, Lori moved on quick. She must have been planning that for a while. <laughs> Batgirl's villain this issue, the octopus, also known as <laughs> Senator Tom Cleary. Oh, and Madame Zodiac. I don't know what card she's reading, but I think she needs a refund on them because they aren't very reliable. <laughs> the Juan Ortiz art in these two stories shows the impact of an inker. In the Robin story, Dave Hunt makes it look slightly Kirby-ish. In the Batgirl story, Vince Coletta's influence is apparent. That's a good point, yeah. If anything... Mambat shows how hard it would be to be a superhero with the demands of real life without a job that allows an amount of freedom and independence or powers that would help compensate for sudden disappearances. I'm talking about you, Mr. Allen, in the Central City Crime Lab. Kirk also has his pride. He could contact Batman for help, who could contact Bruce Wayne, who could put in a good word for him with a zoo or a research lab. Then again, his reputation may be trashed to the point that the reference of a billionaire can't overcome it. We know Francine is the Fembat or Frambat, but without clothes, how did this get code approved? Yes, I know Rob already said Frambat, but I already had it in my comment notes, so I decided to keep it. <laughs> the Huntress has a nice launch to her solo run. We've seen a lot of protégés over the years, but Helena may be the first child of a legacy hero becoming a hero in their own right that we've seen outside of dreams, hoaxes, and imaginary stories. Power Girl is still Superman's cousin on Earth 2, and Infinity Inc. is a few years away. That is a really fantastic point. Bat Cousins, if you can think of any other character that beat her there to the punch, but yeah, I think he's right. I think she is the first. The only one I can think of is Zatanna. Zatara, but, but they weren't in the same story like Zatara was uh, 40 right that's yeah, the only one I could true. think of but so well, I, I'd, yeah. I'd like to hear if anybody else has any ideas about that too but I think it's a great point yeah that's really good most 70s thing this time around well there's the radio station equipment Helena's typewriter Roger's attitude <laughs> now I'm going with the very last panel of the Batman story and the Datsun 280Z parked outside Barry's radio station complete with louvered rear window look at the rear logo of that car and at the photos he inserted the link in the comments. And tell me that's not meant to be a 280Z. When I was 11, I thought that was the coolest looking car and wanted one when I got older. <laughs> I never did get one. Sorry for the length, everyone. To which cheeky bat uncle Martin Gray had to add, never complain about length, Matthew. And Brian Shufo came back to add, that Datsun 280Z looks awesome. 
I had a Datsun 210 and it wasn't anywhere near as cool. Bucky749 came by with his cousins and called this another great episode and great guest. Thank you very much, Buck. We also had our back cousin across the ocean, Martin Gray, gave us his full comments. He says, I'm at the reunion and I'm bringing my homemade toad in the hole with special gravy on my sausages. How great to hear cousin Bill. He sounds like a real classy Southern gentleman. So the second dollar comic is here. I like the cover and I have no problem with the world's finest style shot of all the issue stars pretending they're in the same story. But for those who don't, there are always cover boxes. I think that was a dig at you, Sean. <laughs> I'm a Joe Staten fan, but I am amazed at the praise bestowed upon the contents page. Dashed Off does not begin to cover this murky mess. It would indeed have helped had someone remembered to add the contents detail. So, Sean, did we really heap praise on it? I thought we said we liked it okay. I mean, we liked it more than you did, Martin. Maybe disagree with the heaping praise. But anyway, we'll move on. Back to Martin. I can see the point when this becomes Detective Comics of putting a Batman's trip at the front. But it feels like a demotion for Robin and Batgirl at this point. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who made the book a fan favorite. And all of a sudden, Dad is hogging the spotlight. And there he is in a decent Denny story featuring the best Michael Golden art. Boy, Pete Craig Russell really makes already decent work sing. I like especially the use of the zipatone, for example, on the yellow-dominated close-up of Barry on page 11. Well done by the colorist Jerry Serpe. And Golden's composition at the top of page 14. Batman split across the three panels, head under one gutter, arm pinching out of another. Oh, I was on. Yeah, we love that. Mm -hmm. That part, Martin. The one RT's Dave Hunt art in the Robin story was uneven. But when pencil and inker meshed, things looked great. I love page nine's dramatic homage to 1942's Batman number nine cover with Dick in the Batman cape clutching pose. Vince Coletta works pretty well with Juan Ortiz. The Batgirl artwork was wonderful. Some of the best she has had. The reveal of Ms. Zodiac is stunning. Just freakish. I especially like the detail of the cape clinging tightly against her bat bottom on page seven. Mr. Ortiz is definitely a bottom man. Head out of the gutter, Sean. I always enjoyed Juan Ortiz's work at DC. Looking at what he's been doing for the last few decades, I think you would certainly make a good subject for your creative file. Just mm. six words, Star Trek, the art of Juan Ortiz. Yeah, we're going to get to Juan. He, we do see him again, and I have him penciled tentatively for the creator spotlight when we get to that, that issue in Detective Martin. Sorry, I had to skip right past the man-bat synopsis when Bruce Springsteen started deafening me. Hey, Martin. You don't grow up in New Jersey and not have that be part of your blood. And when I read that story, that's like the only thing that came to my mind is Kirk whining about his glory days. So <laughs> that was a one-off. Don't worry. Back to Martin. I own the Huntress trades and followed her in Wonder Woman, but this is still 70 Staten with awkward shots of out-of-costume Helena's head. Meanwhile, every Huntress shot is amazing. Staten's work looked much better a few years later. I suspect it was drawing at speed early on. Regarding the Huntress getting changed in an elevator, when I get into a lift, I worry there is a Terminator on top. <laughs> I met a guy on a cruise ship a few years back who had been named Dondi because of the cartoon strip. The Hawkman Showcase ad is a direct callback to the 60s house ads using the letter forms of the great DC designer Ira Schnapp, specifically the one heralding Hawkman's Silver Age Brave and the Bold debut. Watch for my tweet at the show announcement. And yeah, if you guys check our Twitter for Batman Family Reunion, Martin posted both ads side by side. And you can see like it is ex it's quote unquote mm -hmm. exactly the same. Like that is a fantastic catch, Martin. Good job. Talking about the most 70s moment. What did you mean? Quote, the shoulder cradle that Michael Golden used in Man Bull, quote, or something. So 
I'm not sure if Martin mistyped man bull or I said man bull or someone said man bull or he meant man bat. But what we meant was like the phone has like this plastic thing on top, which is a shoulder cradle. So you put that plastic thing on top of the telephone uh, receiver. And then so that way it's easier to hold it into your shoulder and you kind of like put your rooch, your rooch, your shoulder up. Yeah, everybody just look at what Sean's doing now. You'll be able yeah. to see. And, and for those who don't know what rooching is, Martin wins my heart because he says, finally, let's keep those musical renditions in Batman family. Sing out, Sean. Okay, so Paul, that sing out, Sean, that's a reference from a musical called Gypsy, which told the life story of the stripper Gypsy Rose Lee. She had an older sister, Louise, who was not very talented. She couldn't really sing, but she didn't want to be. So like when she would be on the stage, she would be singing like this. And then the mother would come down the aisle and yell, sing out, Louise. So Martin, God bless you, because I love Gypsy. Okay, next up, our other Bat Cousin Martin, Martin Menza, also commented, another great show, Bat Cousins. When this issue came in my mail subscription back in the day, I remember enjoying Golden's art on the Batman tale. And everything to do with the start of the Huntress series that started here. Was not a big fan of the artwork on the Batgirl and Robin tales. And the Man Bat tale was not as exciting as usual. Likely due to Kirk not being the one behind the wings of Man Bat in this tale. There you go. And Bat cousin Brian Shufo comes back. He doesn't just comment about cars and topless Batwomen. He also says, another fun episode. I brought a dozen, make that a half dozen, make that a single gluten-free deep fried Oreo. I didn't have any of these later issues of Batman Family, and I'm enjoying hearing about the Huntress stories the most. I had never heard about her until reading the JLA, JSA, Crisis on Earth Prime story, and then discovered her backup stories in Wonder Woman. So her early stories are a huge blind spot for me. Is it just me, or do those Kurt Russell Disney movies scare the bejesus out of anybody else as a kid? People walking around with invisible heads and hands was bad enough, but wasn't there a weightlifting scene where the guy turned into Stretch Armstrong? Five-year-old me had to leave the room. To this day, I don't think I can watch any of those movies. I I know I said it before. I love the Dexter Riley films. <laughs> oh, I love them so much. I probably said it last time. I could do a podcast just about those. I checked today. As of today, the computer wore tennis shoes and the strongest man in the world are on Disney+. Plus. Now you see him, now you don't, which is the middle one isn't on Disney Plus. You can rent it digitally for like four bucks. I love them so much. I kind of think that was the first time I realized that movies could have sequels, but not have. So obviously, like as a kid growing up, I knew Planet of the Apes, Beyond the Planet of the Apes, Return to the Planet, like all, because they all had like Planet of the Apes in the time. So like sequels like that. And Sunday mornings, a local station would play Ma and Pa Kettle movies. But all of them were whatever, like Mon Pa Kettle go to the fair or Mon Pa Kettle, whatever. But the Dexter Riley movies, they didn't have a title for all of the same ones. So it almost confused me. But like, I was like, hey, I, I knew that guy. I knew Dexter Riley. I know all of his friends. And I, I don't know if I said it last time. The other cool thing is that college campus is the actual real Disney animation studio. But getting back to the comments, it never scared me because I kind of think, and again, I love them, but I don't think their special effects were maybe like not so special effects. <laughs> <laughs> like, like to me, and maybe I was a little bit older. To me, I could like tell it was fake and everything, but I love them. Anyway, <laughs> on the issue of Robin's cape length, the gallery post of this issue and some previous issues sometimes show his cape going all the way down to his calves. It's a subtle thing, but it makes him look older. 
and a good compromise to keep him in speedos since he obviously spends a lot of time working out on those legs. An elevator jump at the last moment? Mythbusters tested this. Let's just say that buster did not survive. I should have remembered that because my kids watched Mythbusters endlessly. And after I read that, I was like, oh, I kind of remember that now. (laughs) Good catch there, Brian. Next up, our bat fashionista, Liz Ann Oswald, says, impressive podcast, most impressive. A pretty fun read. I like the combo of Golden and Russell. Wait, the guy paid $400 in 70s cash for that plain brown looking suit? P.T. Barnum was right. There is a sucker born every minute. (laughs) I don't wear many scarves, but Homegirl with Bats has a nice pink one that goes with her look. The next story. The art is fine. Not great, but fine. This guy was a Kirby fan, whoever he is. Ah, Dick looks fine. But sorry for their friend who dies in this purple and blue turtleneck. I like turtlenecks, but what the heck? (laughs) Ah, Lori left with some guy who was in one panel in this issue. Anyway, she's gone. So sad. Ignore me singing Ding Dong, the Wicked Wench is gone. (laughs) Moving on. Huntress? Awesome. Her regular clothes are fine, not great. Oi, Roger. Not only is he a misogynistic dork, but he also dresses like El Cabong. Huntress handling real crimes with no supervillains is kind of cool. It grounds the comic. It's cool seeing her wonder if she is doing any good as a lawyer or should she just be the huntress. Anyway, can't wait until the next podcast. Thanks, Lizanne. And finally, our guest from this very episode, Bat Cousin Brett Michael Young, says, Hey, Bat Cousins, sorry I'm late. I accidentally dropped my homemade cupcakes in the sewer. <laughs> Not to worry, though. As we all know, there are no lingering effects or disease concerns when wading around in raw sewage. So I simply fished them out, dried them off, and plopped them down on the picnic table. <laughs> Enjoy. The cover is fantastic. It isn't indicative of what happens inside, but who cares? It's got the whole family. Michael Golden is called up to the majors and gets to draw Batman. Good on you, young man from 45 years ago. What a great job Golden does of making the characters look unique, especially Tabitha Bladen, who is not to be taken lightly. After all, she'll expose you when she snows you off her feed with the crumbs. She throws you. She's ferocious and she knows just what it takes to make a pro blush. All the boys think she's a spy. She's got a huge insurance policy out on the stolen mask. (laughs) I liked how the gargoyle gang's masks were all different. It reminded me of the president masks in Point Break. Mm -hmm. Just instead of surfing at the beach, these guys hang out in the sewer. Speaking of the sewer, you guys are right. That sure is comfortable swimming around in all that poopy water. Just burn the suit, Alfred. He's got more. Robin's story was a little bizarre. Boy, the students sure had a lot of quick reaction dialogue at the moment of the murder. Herbie hadn't even hit the floor before everyone had something to say. I'm surprised nobody yelled, quick, grab his papers. Herbie was a great note taker. (laughs) Also, a little known fact. When shot in the back, your body instinctively imitates the Heisman Trophy pose. That's just science. Now, Sean, the Heisman Trophy is a football trophy <laughs> given to the best college football player in, in the country every year. And he's got his arm out and holding the football. That's what <laughs> That's just science. Robin is especially nonchalant about death, this issue. Somebody stuck it to him. Am I right? Anyone? Anyone? And who on campus could have stabbed that sniper? It certainly couldn't have been the 35-year-old European woman standing in the front of the crowd who's not a student and looks like Nick Fury's girlfriend, could it? <laughs> Word of advice to Senator Cleary. 
if you want some privacy for a makeout session, don't park next to the Pentagon. I'm impressed how Man Bat and Francine's apartment has continued to grow in size and decor. He now hangs out in a smoking jacket at the library and gazes longingly out his floor-to-ceiling windows. That's one heck of a factory job. I bet they can even afford coffee now. And what did he ask his wife? Hey, I know you recently passed a human through your body and now have to completely function around the baby's feeding schedule, but I need you to stay up all night and watch me snore to make sure we address my problems. Don't be a doormat, Francine. No wonder she's spending her nights as a naked bat. Okay, gotta run. Great Aunt Ethel wants to participate in the potato sack race. And even though it's 93 degrees outside, I want to take out a life insurance policy on her. <laughs> gotta play the odds. Looking forward to the next reunion. I heard your next guest has the voice of an angel. Thank you, Brett. <laughs> now we will acknowledge our Bat family members who shared our podcast on social media. We really appreciate the support from our online community. We'll start off with Facebook and we want to thank Chris Franklin, Mike Thomas, Terry O'Malley, Richard Field, Doug Game Master, Codex Omniversa, Brian Shufo, Don Lindbergh, Herschel Mimas, Brett Young, Clinton Robinson, and Tom Pinsono. Tom, I'm sure I said your name wrong, so please let me know how to pronounce it so I don't do that again. Now we're going to head on over to Twitter, and we are going to start off with all of the network love. So we got some respect from the Irredeemable Shag, the Fire and Water Network itself, Firestorm fan, Mountain Comics, Treasury Cast for All Mankind SF, and Digest Cast. Thank you, Digest Cast. And then we also have it from The Bat Pod, Willie Yarbrough, Brian Shufo, Michael Thomas, Between the Pages Blog, Siskoid, Jeff Hunter, Dr. Pop Culture BG, SU, Ward Hill Terry, Mike Deans, Tam Hardy, Frank Esposito, Mark M, Dave's Comics Heroes blog, Tom Pinassault, I probably didn't do it much better that time either, Chris Lydon, and then I think three zodiological signs, which I don't know what they are, but the at is at askanison22, and that's at A-S-K-A-N-I-S-O-N-22. Thanks a lot for engaging with us on social media. We super really appreciate it. But before we sign off, as most of our listeners know, running the Fire and Water Podcast Network has gotten more costly over the years as more and more shows were added. So if you are enjoying what you hear on this show or any of the other shows, please consider becoming a patron. We are not all Bruce Wayne or Richie Rich, but any small amount you can give helps defray the cost. And I promise that none of those funds will go towards a total renovation of my current living room into an inbuilt gym. <laughs> To find out how, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts and thanks. Well, that'll do it for the feedback section and for episode 19. We want to thank our special guest, Brett Young, again for appearing on the episode. He did a great job and it was super fun to record with. Thank you all for listening and we hope you'll join us next month for the last issue of Batman Family. What?